0: and welcome to the 17th episode of lake of rage pokemon trading card game podcast i am your host kevin clementi aka mellow underscore magikarp and i am joined today by two very special temporary guest hosts joining us for the third time i believe is azul i think so aka azul (laughs) gg yo (laughs) <laughs> what's going on everybody there i didn't know go. that was
1: the transition there
0: <laughs> and joining us for the first time is sander i'm not going to try and say your last name aka the yeah. master of control
2: yeah oh hi nice to be here and also Actually, how do
1: you pronounce it i want to hear sander say it i have uh, no idea I,
2: I pronounce it as as Wojcik. yeah but in fact at at the you know it's a polish polish name and the Polish people would pronounce it slightly different.
0: Okay. So,
2: okay. Even I myself, that's uh, like in more Dutch.
0: <laughs> how often do, often do people pronounce it. it correctly? Like on regional streams or whatever?
2: Not often, although sometimes because it's like an extremely common Polish surname, also the first name. It's like, uh, so if, if, if people like know Polish people, sometimes they know how to pronounce it.
0: So the plan for today's episode? Uh, we are going to get to know Sander a little bit better with those rapid strike questions. Then we're going to get into our main topic, which should surprise no one. We're going to talk a little bit about control. How and why is it good for the game? How do you build a control deck? How do you tech out a control deck? How do you metagame? How do you decide what to play? Tons of questions for that. And then we'll get into questions from Twitch chat. As always, we are recording this live on twitch.tv slash mellow so, underscore How's your week? I've been
1: pretty good. I've been tired. i started adding a little bit more to my workout routine, trying to get to level it up a little bit. So I've been just tired, trying to get into that new next level of that. But besides that, it's been good. The usual.
0: Yo, let's go. Are we going to see you with the hashtag TCGFitFam posting selfies?
1: Probably not. I've never. <laughs> I don't. I don't post pictures of myself. I don't take pictures of myself.
2: So you won't ever see that. Probably.
0: <laughs> Sander, how's your week been?
2: My week has been pretty relaxed. A lot of the restrictions have. Uh been going down here so this weekend i was in, you know the old city for the first time in a long time and and i have him on a holiday right now. it's vacation for me so it's been just uh, relaxing and not doing much
0: that's so nice
2: <laughs> yeah i agree
0: we've also our restrictions have also been like completely lifted for my state where they're just like everything's open you're free to do whatever which feels a little sketchy
2: but uh... yeah it feels a little bit <laughs> sketchy here as well honestly
0: are people still, like, masked up where either of you are at? Or
2: is everyone just stopped?
1: I mean, there's, like, a couple. Like, some people still do it. Like, I do it when I go to the grocery store, but that's about... I mean, I I only go to the grocery store when I go out, basically, besides the gym, so... But yeah, they, they lifted the ban. I mean, I think when most places lifted the ban in... Or the whatever it's called in uh, America. And, um, although it's pretty lax here in general throughout everything. But, yeah, no one's really wearing masks anymore. I, like, I would say maybe a quarter of the people, if you go to the grocery store, are wearing masks still. Maybe a little bit less.
0: What about where you are? Yeah,
2: here, uh, you only have to wear masks in la- in like public transport and in grocery grocery stores. It's like I don't see people even wear masks anymore. I think uh, all almost all of the restrictions were like lifted at at once, and I, I feel like maybe it gave the wrong impression a bit too much. <laughs> so I think they are thinking about maybe putting a couple restrictions back because the bars were like way too way too way too busy. So we'll see how it goes, but the numbers are looking good. So that's uh, that's still looking good uh, fun, I guess.
0: I think it's about the same here then as both of those places. On a Friday, I went to a, a tournament at shout out to Tabletop Village. Uh, anyone in Washington should check them out. But uh, I went to a cash tournament there to win some store credit so I can afford the whatever aquas or whatever from the next set. And there were like two of us who were still wearing masks. And that like it felt weird to me. And I was like, well, whatever. It's I can play the Pokemon tournament in a mask still. Like, it's no big deal. But it was surprising to see everyone just be like, meh, we're fine. It was a culture shock, I yes. guess.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was
2: the same here.
0: All right. So let's go ahead and get into those rapid strike questions. So Sander, you were going to oh, get oh, 60 seconds.
2: Yeah. By the way, should I turn on the camera?
0: If you want to, it's up to you. About half of our listeners are audio, half of our listeners are video. There we go. Cool. So you're going to get 60 seconds to answer as many as you can. Our record's 17 so far, but uh, that was by me. So, you know, it's hard, it's hard to live up to me, to be
2: honest. You were asking yourself the question.
0: <laughs> no, we had someone else ask the questions. They asked easier questions, which is why I was able to set the record. <laughs> All right. Are you ready? Yeah, sure. First thing that comes to your mind. Oops, I hit the wrong button. Question number one, TV or movie? Would you rather watch a movie at home or in a movie theater?
2: Uh, Movie theater.
0: Breakfast or dinner?
2: Uh, Dinner.
0: What's your favorite video game?
2: Uh, Of all time, I think Resident Evil 4.
0: Favorite Pokemon? Mew. What's the last movie that you watched? No idea. (laughs) Right now. What's your favorite color? Red. What's your least favorite deck you've ever played?
2: My least favorite deck? i played Claydol clayed that does more damage for every Stephen's resolve here if you, in your discard. I played it as a cube. It was uh, <laughs> extremely bad. <laughs> That's
0: a deck. What? <laughs> uh, fav- I mean, what's your favorite cartoon? SpongeBob. Would you rather play a passive stall deck or an active control deck? Yeah, active control deck. TikTok or
2: Instagram? Uh, Instagram.
0: And that is time. So you made it through eleven of them. <laughs> we got a little got a little sidetracked with the clay. <laughs> I didn't know that card existed.
2: Yeah. I mean. That's probably them. a good thing. <laughs> it does like for one fighting in a in a in a colorless, it does uh fifty for every Stevens you have your discard if I remember correctly. And then uh, you could Stevens turn one for all your Stevens and ultra ball them away and it would hit <laughs> kinda hard. And you had fighting uh, you, you would hit fighting against Soul Arc. You had choice bands so you could hit uh Kind kinda decent. <laughs> Play it for, I mean, I play a lot of quote-unquote bad decks in Cups. Uh, you,
0: are you, like, planning of just, like, I'm just going to see if I can break the meta with a meme deck when you go to Locals?
2: No, <laughs> and when I go to Locals, I so some usually when it's, like, before a regional, I kind of, you know, want to get serious practicing and I play my, you know, my deck that I'm going to play at the regionals. But... There's actually, a, because the Netherlands is so densely populated, you can go to a lot of Cups. So sometimes I just go to Cups and I play decks and I don't even have any expectations. I just go for fun. And I play uh, Super Smash Bros. Uh, <laughs> between the rounds with some people, and that's uh, fine by me.
0: That's so good. <laughs> so recently, you've started streaming on Twitch, which is early morning for us US people. But what made you get into content creation? Like what made you want to start doing this I
2: think having you know I'd like to talk about my my place in my decks anyways, and I guess the main reason is uh to share my my ideas and share my decks and to be to provide some entertainment and also playing by yourself is maybe slightly bo- boring, <laughs> especially I think I started streaming during the you know when you had the fifty keys and playing all the 50 keys just by yourself it's actually a lot of games especially when you play slow decks right you're just sitting and it takes a lot of hours so i was like well I might as well stream it I'm a bit more fun with it yeah i think so that's I think, the main reason more fun
0: people always kind of assume that i'm joking when i say i wouldn't finish 50 keys if i weren't streaming them but yeah I it. <laughs> it's, it's so many
2: I mean, the side <laughs> is you actually do get a pretty good sample size right like, true 50, 50 keys. That's it's also a lot to grind through. Especially
1: yeah, I didn't even realize like how many I don't even because I, I stream literally everything I do <laughs> with Pokemon. So I don't even realize like how much how many games I actually play or how much how draining it would be if I wasn't streaming now that I'm like thinking about it and you guys are mentioning it. But I remember like I never played PDCGO really before I started streaming because it was like not as fun to just do by myself. Um, I'd always much rather like go meet up with friends and like test in real life.
2: Yeah, and I also think the testing in real life is more productive often, so I can see why. I, I see PCGO as mainly, like, getting a feel for engines and seeing your opening turns kind of play out. I think it's good for that. And you do get some some amount of practice. And the keys, and the keys were kind of nice because people do kind of, you know, try their best and play decks that they think they are good. So, But 50 keys is a lot, <laughs> which might also be fine.
0: It's the waiting in between rounds. I mean... To be fair, I guess you're not the one waiting. We're waiting on you.
2: <laughs> wait. That's also why the keys took so long for me, right? Because you know, I think it's one of the one of the tournaments. At one point, I finished with like 100 and over 150. So on average, I would reach like the finals. It takes like like 20 minutes plus per round. It takes like an over an hour to finish one key. So it's a lot of time.
0: That's not, see, I played all. It was, if everyone, if everyone went smooth, it was like 30 minutes per key, maybe. And that was a, yeah, if you,
2: that was a dream.
1: <laughs> you might hit like that one Luke Metal player that would like slow things up. But then once you get past them, it's like. <laughs> it,
2: it, it is kind of funny that you could sometimes see like, sometimes it was, I, I would finish a round quicker than uh, I would, it would, I wouldn't be the last round to finish. And it was one more round playing and every single time that had happened. If I played against that person in the next round, it could be Luke Metal. Yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> no, it's they, they. also took take a lot of time. It's Luke Metal for sure.
0: Did you have any control mirrors?
2: I have not played them in the in the Players Cup keys. Okay. Played, uh, I've played I've played mirrors in, you know, uh, tournaments on Damageless. And one of my one of my annoyances with Excadrill is that there's not really a mirror breaker since Faba and Girafik left. Like when Faba and Girafik were in there, also because Pichotte was a cool deck right? So it what makes it made sense to tag for it. But right now, if you want to tag for the Excadrill Mirror, you'll have to do some pretty crazy stuff.
0: Have you thought you about to, how to tag?
2: Yeah, you would have to play Magneton, so you can blow up your own Magneton a couple of times and then handlock look But basically, <laughs> I've, I've, yeah, so I've played a Mirror, and it's literally just t- t- timing each other out. If you, there's no win condition for either side. You can, like, pulse the station or can stall for time, but there's no way to actually win. So at some point you just have to make the moves quicker than your opponents. And it does feel super silly. It's like not fun at all.
0: There was a time where Pidgeotto played a Magneton for that reason, right?
2: Yeah. You could also play, I think, at Brazil internets. I think some of the Pidgeottos played Sloking for the Maybar. That was also, I mean, the better tech because you could also do some other stuff, I guess, not with chips.
0: That was the one that was... For a water energy, look at their hand, put it in the lost zone.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Okay.
0: Uh oh, before we what is your Twitch username for anyone listening who wants to find you?
2: It's uh Python H because Python one through seven were already already taken.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Wait, were they actually?
2: (laughs) Uh, I think so.
0: I always feel like people say that like oh as a meme of like oh yeah no i had to pick this number because that but that actually happened to you
2: i mean python is not a very original name i don't even like the snake for, for <laughs> so for just as a trivia it's just because i like i like monty python the yeah british comedians i like them a lot in their movies so it's a reference to to them
0: i didn't think of that at all
2: but it's like a somewhat edgy online youth for gaming so it's like a nice uh, combo
0: let's get into our, like our main topic even though we're kind of heading in that direction so sander you're obviously one of the most prolific control players in the game obviously there's a few other people who are like constantly playing it and doing well and etc cetera, etc cetera, but i feel like you've really cemented yourself as like sander is the control expert
2: and... I would say I'm the most stubborn, <laughs> stubborn <laughs> control player. Like you have in Europe, you have Alessandro Grimanskoli, and he also plays control a lot of the time, but at Malmö, the latest European regional in 2019, before everything shut down, he was playing Macargo GX. Yep. And I was like, I was bugging him about it. And I was like, I can't believe you, you stopped playing uh, control decks. <laughs> and there's Hampus Eriksson, who also qualified for the top four. He played Munchlax in the, in the player scope. Oh yeah. Yeah, he made it, so he made it to the global finals and he won a re- regional with uh, Silphion. so there are some other control players for sure
0: of course there's there's quite a few there's there's a lot but yeah. i feel like you I mean there's a
2: lot of yeah.
0: you've been like the person that everyone's like oh sanders control
2: i'm i'm the most uh, adamant about you know play maybe you know I'm really a uh, strong-headed in thinking that control is part of the game, and it, it's like you know, it's a good way to play. It's strong. It's like you can you can beat it. You can do a lot with it. I think a lot of the a lot of the way Pokemon designs cards fits control well because usually. There are, they print like a strong card, and they print like a strong tech card against it. so Like, and and in control can also use like the the counters to counter cards really well often. So it fits the game.
0: <laughs> so we'll get into the deck building portion in a second because that that's what interests me the most. I am someone who will net deck a deck and just be like, well, this is good enough for. Usually Alessandro is the person that I I've grabbed decks from before because Reggie Gigas Hoopa was very good and very. Generally easy to play, <laughs> but uh, Azul, you're also on the pod, and on the off chance someone doesn't know, you're known for all the decks in the world. But you have <laughs> played control install decks to successful finishes a handful of times, correct?
1: Yeah, a couple, a couple decent finishes. <clears throat> it's never been the deck that I always want to play, but I always want to play the best deck in the room. So whatever I think is the best deck, and it's control is usually it if you can figure it out. But it's really hard to crack the code sometimes on control.
0: So this is for both of you, I guess, but how do you do that? Because, like, I feel like Pokemon's never printed a very obvious control archetype. Like, Eternatus was clearly Eternatus, right? But (laughs) there's never been something like that for control, to the best of my knowledge. So how do you go about figuring out a general archetype of control?
2: I guess I can. No, I I like that about it. Personally, I like it way more. you. Have to you know piece all the cards together instead of you kinda the game gives you like oh play these cards together and then you can make your tech decisions or like your engine decisions somewhat. I like it a bit more when you have to build the entire deck yourself. But in general but you know there's some some things that control wants, right? I mean control you want you want to stop your opponent from winning the game. That's kinda <laughs> your game plan is stopping your opponent from winning the game. So Anything that helps with that is important. And then you also don't want to uh, lose the game yourself. So you want some type of defensive card, maybe like a Lily's doll, Or maybe even like, for example, in pitch I, I played with Reef at some point. Just because I felt like when you Elm and you only grab pitches, you can get rushed down too easily. And sometimes just having them reap Reef for some extra status conditions can help.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And in Regigigas Hoopa, of course, like a lot of the, the, Regigigas, the Regigigas really is like a... Just doesn't do anything besides making sure that you can actually play all your disruption cards, right? The Regigigas is just a body that sits in play. Doesn't do anything. Even like a card like Max Potion. Max Potion isn't removing your opponent's win conditions, it's not removing your opponent's energies or trapping something. It's just making sure you stay alive. So usually those type of cards are important. And then you want some kind of a card advantage engine. So something like a disamine or a vangu or a Munchlax something that's because when you're not losing the game and your opponent is not winning the game what's going to happen is nobody's winning so the game is <laughs> going to take forever and if you have some way to get an advantage out of a game taking forever so something like a lucimine or a lag, some kind of uh, recursion or some type something to get even uh, a long time ago i played waylord, waylord ex and i played one sky to turn shaman just so that i could could do 30 damage every turn or when I played Steelix, I would play Shrine of Punishment just for the damage,
3: mm-hmm. and
2: even something like that. Something just... If you're, you're not losing, your opponent is not winning, you're disrupting their resources, you want to gain, gain some kind of uh, leverage out of it. So usually that's like something I look for, and then also the engine is really important. Cards like Steven's Resolve are extremely extremely uh, good for control decks. So... so I would say those four, four things are kind of what are on my radar in general.
0: So if I could just like throw that in a summary, it's partially for myself too. It's like, we need something to let us not lose essentially something to buy time so you can actually establish whatever it is you need to do.
2: Like, yeah, it's like your, you need to uh, prevent, yeah, your your life, total kind is your opponent taking their six prizes. So you Mm -hmm. need some way to make sure that they don't take their six prizes. We need,
0: we need some sort of engine such as Steven's resolve, Pidgeotto, Sinchino.
2: Yeah, you need to access it's... your cards. And because you kind of want, and and one of the things is making sure your opponent can't win, and against different decks, you have different ways to prevent them from winning. So in your engine, it is pretty important to have like card selection. Like you want to maybe a card like Research that just draws a lot of raw cards. It can be good, but usually having cards like Stellar Resolve or or pitch Auto, which lets you, pick the right cards for the situation or the right card for the matchup those are tend to be more valuable to control decks and sometimes the roll draw power
0: we need an infinite loop some sort of yeah. thing loose me i don't know if there's yeah. others Dude.
1: you don't always need infinite though sometimes you just yeah, need you more than your opponent like there's been control decks in the past where you just have Like Sylveon is a good one. You don't have infinite, right? But you have more than your opponent does. So you eventually win. And
2: and even attacking is also, you know, you can't attack. So off of that. Like Senti Scorch, you could, at at some point, you could also just uh, attack.
0: The Senti Denial deck that you had played not that long ago with like Pidgeotto and your radiating heating most turns. and Just making sure no one listening is like thinking Senti Scorch V Max with Vulcanians and (laughs) as a control deck. (laughs) And that deck. So to go off of that, and we're going to jump around a lot, I think, but, like, the idea of, so we don't need an infinite loop. Are infinite loops fine for the game? Are they healthy? Are they unhealthy? Is it just, like, a thing to live with? Like, a Ranguru, um, Lusamine, whatever else. I think,
2: right? I think, since you can also kind of, I mean, you can, a lot of decks can also, you know, attack indefinitely, so it's not like... Attacking itself kind of, you can keep doing it as long as you have the energy. But I think, I think as long as there's some way to interact with it, it's kind of fine. I think Luce has been problematic. I think the annoying, I think the problem with Lusamine always was that you can play Lusimine and, you know, there's nothing in play that, that is like a weak point. Mm. It's kind of why Munchlax is a lot healthier because at least every deck can boss the Munchlax and Kjallit or they can put damage on it with Mew. And it's like intergrained in the game, like a mechanic that everybody can interact with in Munchlax. And Lucemine was kind of, you need to play some really specific tags. And it felt like your opponent is only putting down balls and then just meaning forever. I can expand it. It is a problem with like the dolls and the rubber substitutes. It's like, there's nothing to like naturally interact with unless you have some really specific counter. So it feels like the Lucemine loop is, is like kind of like uncontested unless you go out of your way to do something about it. And maybe that is not the healthiest. I think having like an ability or, an, or with Oranguru it was, was an attacker, but I think Oranguru was like, the resource management Oranguru was maybe overtuned, tuned, like too strong on a basic with on twenty HP for a colorless energy when it recycle high energies in the format mm-hmm. and three cards. It's like, I think Oranguru was more of an issue of too much rather than that uh, it was inherently
1: yeah i think it's generally bad like i would say avoid infinite loops unless there's some kind of inconsistency to it like munchlax it's a a coin flip and then it's like a constant prize card in play but the ones where you can't really interact with them yeah i think i agree like loosening you can't interact with it and then orangaroo is just too much just like it got it was too efficient for its own good yeah okay Um, but like
2: Excadrill feels a bit, a lot, uh, like a lot, uh, fair, more fair. Like it's a stage one, you need like a three, two, exodrill line and a basic, a basic fight, fighting energy instead of colorless energy. feels like, at least you have to work for your, or your infinite loop instead of just, uh, Yeah.
0: Their cycle energy was a very frustrating car. (laughs) 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 It felt like, even if you could deal with the Oranguru at any point is like, I can't, I can't disrupt your hand because you literally just have the energy again and yeah it was it was a pretty good combo <laughs> yeah so when it comes to making a deck making a call this is this something you're both very good at of making a call of like this is the best deck for the tournament these are the techs we need how do you go about like actually deciding like these are the decks i need to beat like the just general meta gaming of This is what I'm worried about. You know, these are the top decks. Are you looking at old tournaments? Are you listening to the community? Are you just going off of gut feeling at this point? Like, how are you coming up with these are what I need to tech against?
1: I mean, one thing that I've always brought up is, like, teching for the better players. Like, I'll I'll take the level of, like, okay, this is the current meta. Okay, so what? This is a good play. Okay, everyone thinks that. Okay, I'm going to play this instead because then I beat, when I make day two, I'm going to beat everyone. And that's happened very well for me multiple times where i've been like this is what the good players are gonna play okay if i beat that then if i can just make it today 2 i'm gonna top eight the tournament so that's like one for me and i think as far as control goes specifically it's very it's much easier to check out the control deck a control deck once you have an idea of what the meta is like going into a blind meta with control is like scary or like it's just maybe impossible to make it work sometimes whereas like I guess like the one example where it was just like the deck's just so good it doesn't matter was Pidgeotto Control for Worlds even though our list wasn't perfect it was just like you can't lose if you just lock them you can lock anything so why not it'll work like we don't need to know what everyone is playing or what we think will be super popular and what we think we can just like be like well there's gonna be like a couple of them but we don't have to be able to beat it it's just like if we can just get the lock to work then that's all you really need but for Control specifically I feel like when when you have an idea of what the meta's gonna look like it's like way easier to kind of figure out what you want to play in the deck They're trying to account for everything.
0: Makes sense. Anything to add, Sander?
2: Yeah, I agree. I also think, like, playing attacking against what you expect the good players to bring makes sense, like, in Europe. At some point, you would just know that a decent portion of the good players would always play solo arc. It's, like, way, like, it was, like, really popular in, like, for, like, some of the higher-end players that put a lot of time in the game. So you can also do some local metagaming. And then I think it, to me, it, it is, I feel like it's pretty important to have like a good sense of how the meta is, what state the meta is at. Like you don't want to, I've had sometimes a time like, you know, going too far in metagaming and then you lose against some deck that you thought was already, you know, you already like kind of was ignoring it and uh, you were looking at the metagame. So I feel like it, it is pretty important to have some good feel about how people are feeling about decks. Which checks for good so it's also you know when I test but also when I talk to like some of the other players that are testing I sometimes just ask like what do you think about the, the peeker mirror and which is the deal breaker because then I kind of feel like oh maybe I should be expecting this card more and sometimes people are like oh they like, uh, Malamar is like unplayable at this moment because this at uh, this it's just unbeatable and then maybe I shouldn't be as worried about Malamar so I feel like having a good sense about how the meta is kind of developing. And also, you know, the meta is kind of like a cycle, right? Like one deck does well, and then the other deck that beats it starts doing well. You need to be kind of kind of pinpointed uh, the point in the cycle that the meta is at for the specific tournament. You, you do need to, you know, do that properly for controls as well,
0: but for any deck. What do you do? Like, okay, so you've decided... You're teching against this deck because this is what I think the top players are going to bring. These are the things I'm afraid of. How do you actually go about figuring out what those techs are? Because I feel like, and I think you said this earlier, they give you main techs against specific decks for attacking decks. But we have to do different things when we're trying to deny our opponent from playing the game. So how do you actually go about coming up with these techs?
2: Uh, yeah you, sometimes you have to think a little bit more outside of the books sometimes even the attacking techs are viable for control like regi giga's hoopa would play the sledgehammer Buzz ball and you would win again you could win against people like that and i was playing xerneas prism at some point because you could put the counter energies in play beforehand and xerneas also could KO coco prism against speaker rom and xerneas was pretty nice because uh, it was like the only card in the entire deck that didn't have fighting weakness. So against Zoroark, when they put Mug in play that uh, stops Hoopa and they have a Lycanroc charge, it a Lycanroc would one shot everything that you had, except for your Lugia. The Lugia was like kind of risky to put into play because if you put Lugia in play and then uh, they're and you don't find the max potion, then two-shotting a Lugia gets double prices. So Xernia was kind of both an attacker and a, and a pretty good wall in some matchups. So I feel like for control, you kind of want to have some overlap because you can't, you know, as much as I would like sometimes to play a uh, 20 tech cards, you can't, you can't tech for <laughs> everything. You need to kind of mix and match, right? You need to find a card that can serve multiple roles and cover multiple matchups at once. And then sometimes there are cards that are, don't have a clear direct counter, like when Seishin came came out obviously couldn't hand lock as easily anymore because they could just trap it swords and then i think version was kind of a nice way that at least in the early game because one of the things about control is that if your opponent plays very aggressively they're they can run out of resources and if they bench it they then you can trap it so sometimes uh, your opponent would have a non-functional hand unless they they bench it They then but station decks would never run into that problem and if they had like a hand it was really painful to discard with a uh, professor research they could just in with sword and and get out of it without losing other their resources cessation was a pretty big problem for control on like multiple angles and although those like version didn't counter the cessation completely it would at least stop them from like really building up to a alter creation or really drawing out of a or hands that they would otherwise have to uh, spend it then or something like that say so Persian kind of kept intrepid sorting check so it, it, it wasn't like a like an obvious counter but I think it did help so sometimes you can find cards like that
0: Azul any other thoughts on like how do you come up with these types of techs for non-attacking decks
1: yeah, I think go- not going too far down the rabbit hole for sure I think Xandermen's not a little bit just like sure you might be able to beat if you play this 1-1 one, one line, you can beat this deck 75% of the time. But if it only makes up, you know, 6% of the meta, you can play this card that gives you a 50-50 shot and it helps out in other matchups. Is generally going to be better. So, yeah, you don't want to go, like, too far down and, like, tech, you know, play, like, a bunch of one ofs and 2 ofs and stuff that give you a stronger matchup against those decks. But you have to remember, you want to beat the bulk of the meta, not every single... Every single deck in the meta but not not making your deck so inconsistent that you don't beat anything anymore is like definitely a big thing for sure because so many people go down that route with so many different decks outside of control so stay away from teching your deck consistency is you need you, yeah, your deck has to set up for it to function so
2: so you, you can't beat everything that, that's not never going to work you just yeah. need to beat decks that people actually bring to the tournaments yeah it's like always the main uh, concern right
0: to go off of that, Sander, you're known for playing like 61 ofs in a deck. How do you pull that off without the deck being inconsistent?
2: Well, I mean th- sometimes I mean kind of depends. Like I think in a deck like h- the handlock deck, like Toe Control and like Excadrill, I guess, they have a more they have like more their own game plan. So those decks you I mean you sometimes just still put some decks in it. Also because Thinking, of, for example, in Pidgeotto, like I said, card selection is pretty important for control decks mm-hmm. and the deck was already playing four Gears, so I was playing, like, one, one Stevens Resolve even in Pidgeotto Control at some point, because I all had four Pokegears anyways, and I was like, well, even if I play one Stevens, I have pretty good odds to just sometimes find it in the exact right situation. But the more toolboxy control decks that are kind of, like, more passive and then they kind of counter, they kind of get rid of uh, like for example that you can at some point i played i think in brazil also a very tacked out almost star there i feel like i have like a game plan against a lot of the decks like for example i played Uno in hand and against the uh, pitch of the control i had a really good matchup because if i put almost star in play and i played mobile i can item lock them they can't stamp me i played my own orange and i can just draw my deck and then I can win like that and just win with her own hands. So, and against welder Welderbox, I mean, I could look, I could look, look in, a den with Noibeth, I think.
0: <laughs> Nasal suction. <laughs> yeah. I love so that So I kind
2: of had like a, I kind of had like a game plan for a lot of the decks and, and that is really only made possible because of Steven's resolve, but also, I also had like the, the there's like a core strategy and I had, I, had, I played Slumbering Forest, Marib, Doll, and Munchlax. So when you're sleeping, and you have to flip Double Tails with uh, Slumbering Forest, and I have Lusamine to win the Stadium War, and at some point you run out of Switch Cards, and then with Moonshlex, half of the time I get the doll back, and only a quarter of the time your opponent's going to wake up. So that was kind of like a very simple core. It's kind of like how, how I w- like to build the Regigigas Hoopa decks as well. It's a really simple core. You have Regigigas, you have Hoopa, you have Lusamine, Acerola, and Max Potions, so you have like a pretty strong like core strategy or even when I played Steelix before I played Regigigas it's like kind of uh, a core and then around this core you have a lot of uh, tech cards that, that just deal with a lot of different situations then a card like Stevens is really important and even if you draw uh, uh, poorly because you play a lot of the, your tech cards you have a lot a lot of cards like Max Potion and Acerola which give, gives you kind of if you redraws, so if you don't have anything going on, but you do have a, a Hoopa and, and you can heal them with Max Potion, you do get more time than other decks. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of the decks, in the, like a lot of attacking decks, if you miss your turn one attachment, it feels like you have like a, a you, you're extremely far behind. But in control decks, especially like the more passive control decks that try to defend themselves and then play some counters or some, try to set up a, a specific win condition or situation can be more fine than other decks to uh, not have the ideal start, as long as the cards that you do have allow you to stay alive.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: So that's like a kind of dynamic that is unique to some control decks. I would, I would say that's not really the case for decks like Handlock, because those have like a way more specific goal in mind. They have to draw their entire deck. If you don't do anything as digital Control on the first couple of turns, you're going to lose. But some of the def- more defensive-oriented orient- decks, they can sometimes get away a bit more with uh, a lot of different attacks. Because even if they don't have the draw supporter, mo- more likely than not, you're going to have a hand with dolls and custom catchers to trap something and buy some time. So you get a bit more
3: time.
0: That makes sense. That makes sense. So, again, we're jumping around a lot. There's no real form or function, but going back i guess to a couple times ago it was the idea of a one card tech versus a two card tech and that made me think of persian versus apom which is still relevant and has been a relevant argument for a while now as long as munchlax has been a deck that people can just pick up and play in these online tournaments how and this is for both of you because i think you both have an idea how do you go about deciding i'm going to play persian versus i'm going to play apom versus potentially play neither Maybe even the Bisharp that we had talked about earlier. Like, how do you go about deciding between these specific tech cards that whether now or in the past or anything like that? I mean, for those two
1: specifically, I think it's like just how spe- like it, are you just trying to discard cards out of their hand or are you trying to get something specific out of their hand? I think is the biggest, like the first big thing. Because like if you're just like just trying to discard cards, then apom is great. Like I played apom in a the SIGUI deck recently, so I could just beat Luke Metal, right? Like I'm just trying to discard cards. But when you need to specifically discard cards, and if you whiff, you lose. Then you probably want to play Persian most of the time. And there's also like so many other cute plays you can do with Persian against any deck that you can't do with Apom. Where you can do like random like boss plus Persian or remove energy plus Persian. Like there's so many cute plays you can do with Persian that you just can't do with Apom because you get to see what they have access to on their next turn and then discard specific cards to get rid of you know their outs to any situation that you can try and you know bring up on your turn as an answer. So Persian's like always it's definitely the better of the two if you had to pick one which was, like, more powerful. It is a Stage 1, though, of course, so it can be a little bit harder to set up, especially when football is, like, our only great pokemon search card so it can be harder to even just find the persian to begin with but yeah it's because i also apom's what to five right so they can they can play they can play around by plus one card it's actually like a really big deal if you've ever played up against persian playing down to four can be pretty hard So having one more card to work with even just one more card to work with especially when you're just kind of going like top deck p- put it into play almost in those kind of situations where you're just trying to just play around losing your resources so can be a pretty big deal there as well so the person also puts a, li- a lot more pressure on in that sense
2: yeah I'm, i think Apom. To me, Apple makes sense if you're playing the Situai and you want to beat Luke Metal without, you know, decking out yourself. I think only then Apple makes sense. I, li- I like Persian a lot. I like it way more. Th- I've always liked it way more than Apple, because it's like it tackles a way wider range of situations. Like Persian is already good when your opponent has like five or six cards. And also if your opponent has like three cards in hand. And because you play Persian kind of for Intrepid Sword is such an efficient way for your opponent to draw cards, you kind of want to make them draw their cards in a more painful way by spending researches or they don't. Like, the annoying part about Intrepid Sword is that it's so, you know, so so guaranteed to get your opponent their resources without, without wasting anything. And Intrepid Swording, against when you have three cards in hand, so you go to six cards. Against bomb. that's completely fine, but against Persian, it's already... You know, you might lose a extremely important switch or a water energy that you draw or, you know, something else. And then Persian, you can combine it with cards like Yalgund or even surprise box. And even though it's an evolution, I think you get the value from Persian. The moment you bench the Mm Meowth, like if you have a Meowth in play, if your opponent has like an eight card hand. they, they have to make a move unless they can boss it, right? Okay. So sometimes I would be playing Persian in Menschlax against ADP, and I would and I would check check, and I would see oh, I've priced my Persian to have me out. It would still bench to me out, just because it's still gonna be you know, they have to boss it. We have to find the boss, or they maybe have to not intrepid sword for a turn, or spend their cards, spend their switches, or put their air balloons in place so you can scapper her double air balloon. So I feel like Persian has a way wider range, and then April is really for. When you want to prevent your opponent from literally only intrepid swording you totally have like twenty cards in hand. Or for the situation with the situation where you need like a you need like a you need to get rid of cards in your deck, or you are gonna lose the deck out of the war. So I mean, I've always liked version. <laughs> there was like a really in Hoopa at some point I was playing like Hoverhouse with Rainbow Energy. So you, but this was when this was put your Gengar Mimikyu active Hoverhouse. And on the same turn as you do this, you bench the Meowth. Then you horror house them with the rainbow energy. And on the next turn, you ice you your Gengar Mimikyu, and you put your Meowth active and go version and make and pay. And that way, you know, on the, on the turn you bench the Meowth, you horror house them so they can never play around <laughs> it. And if you Kuzma horror house something <laughs> that can't attack or can't retreat, then they can't really get get out of it. And it, was, it didn't take that many uh, spaces. And you got Stevens Resolve back then. I played a couple cups with it and it was actually really fun to do like <laughs> overhousing to make a game. It was like a guaranteed setup.
0: That's so cool. How did I never... I've never seen or heard someone do that. <laughs> yeah. I wish. Because I played Get Regigigas Hoopa at all the locals and stuff during that format and I never thought of that at all. I never saw any list with that and I kind of wish I could.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's also like at the cups you can that I play, I just try out a lot of stuff. In general, I like trying out a lot of the cards, and sometimes you kinda kind of like notice if is this is this really working or is this like too much effort is it too narrow? are there too many games where this isn't I can do it, but it's not even what I want to do so I feel like testing out a lot of different cards also it's fun and you can kind of get a feel like is this actually the direction that I want to go is this maybe too much uh is, or it's just like, too unrealistic to set up? And I think, like, st- I mean, we it the Regigigas, this I means Steven's resolve that <laughs> made everything possible in
0: the end. The deck definitely felt like a counterbox to me. Like, yeah. it's just like, no matter what your opponent did, you had an answer to it. And like you said, the Regigigas and the Hoopa were just like, I just need to buy turns while I Steven's in order to set up the, I don't know, the Buzzwill Beast energy to KO the Coco, or the Lugia DCE counter gain to... Lost Purge, whatever.
2: Or... Yeah, those sports are Oranguru. <laughs> if, if, even if people attack their own Oranguru, you could beat it. I was also playing, I think, at Bristol, where I topped four. They were playing, I was playing, like, the Sableye with limitation.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: So you could lock the Lolan Muk. They, they did evolve it to shut down Hoopa. You could just trap uh, it with Sableye. I mean, I felt like the deck you always could play a little... Of, uh, you, if you had the right decks for the right tournament, it was always... So particular uh, i don't know oh the, the question also about Persian and apom
0: going into it. <laughs> yeah no sidetrack is fine sidetrack is fine <laughs> but to go back i feel like there was a really important lesson that i want to reiterate so i remember it but also for everyone else too the idea of persian versus apom is not necessarily that you have to persian you don't have to make them pay to get the value it's about yeah. I can time benching the meowth at the right time to just make my opponent uncomfortable and play my game instead of their game. Correct.
2: Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, and and I, I feel like it, and it really kind of did cover like a, a huge weakness because Intrepid Sword was just it was like one of the things that I mean I, I've already mentioned it this, but one of the problems of Intrepid Sword was like that they in the late game you can't talk them out. But in specific against Intrepid Sword, it also made their early game, you know, they would never waste any resource. So because they could always just press Intrepid Sword and and no matter what their opening hand was, they always had like outs like against Welder decks. Sometimes they just have to use it. They tend to put any pressure or if they're not putting any pressure, they're giving you like a lot of free turns. So I feel like version is better and it also uh, covered like a, like a, s- a scenario that you, you maybe wouldn't think of immediately, but it covered like this annoying situation where a super free way for your opponent to get resources mm-hmm. compared to research in the den. So yeah, that's what I was why and, and even before that, I was like, big version.
0: That makes sense. That makes sense. So how about the Chilling Rain meta and control? So you've been streaming Excadrill Handlock. Is that for fun or... Do you think Excadrill is like the best way to play control right now?
2: It's mainly because some of the cards that you got in Chilling Rain are extremely good. Think like Path to the Peak is like it fixes the entire station problem, it fixes Click Tune, it fixes I guess Orbital if it even is attack (laughs) anymore. And one thing that when Power Plant was around, you could like also use your Power Plant before crowbat was released. You could Power Plant like in the mid game, Power Plant Stamp just to get some time. You could Power Plant Stamp and boss something. And if they miss, then you get some free turns and that can be enough to like get the complete headlock later on. And you kind of never had that anymore because even if you Power Plant, they can crowbat out of it or they can each other sort out of it. Mm-hmm. It was kind of a uh, Power Plant wasn't even that good. And path to the peak kind of, it, it makes your hand lock stronger because you can chip, chip and give them a 10 or a quick ball or a charge ball. You can mid game go path to the peak stamp and buy some time potentially. And it solves some of the problems. And then the yell horn is also really good. So I felt like the deck got some strong cards. I might as well try them out and it does change up your own engine. So I was also just trying to uh, experiment a bit with, you know, if you do, if you play past the peak, maybe you don't playstation, and if you don't do that, then that might change your own entire engine. And that's, I mean, Pokemon not not control only, but all of the decks. Like a lot of the skill evolved is figuring out the engines right. Like the complexity of how how in how many ways you can draw cards is pretty. You know, you, there's a lot of ways around it, and you can make so many decisions. You can fine tune so many ways so many things you you have to account for mm-hmm. and so you kind of have to i think have some feel for it and yeah into some capacity you have to enjoy like figure, figuring out engines so i was like well maybe it's just like, some good practice to kind of see how the actual deck would work without station your with, without your own station because you're playing path. so I felt like it also was some yeah you know, some decent uh practice to try to find that. Uh, so I was trying Starly with four Bird Keepers and double girachi and triple Nets. So okay. I, felt, I felt like the triple Nets helps a lot against Italian. And against Astral Barrage, the uh, G- G- the Shadow Rider basic attack. So, and with more Scoop of Nets to heal your heal your, heal your your uh, low HP Pokemon. You also want some more chirachis And then I was playing four Bird Keepers. So your double Girachi gets a bit better. And Starly, you can use it instead of Intrepid Sword. So I was just trying out, like, is this a is this is this a valid way?
0: I did see. Okay. I was watching Azul's side of it, but I did see you were streaming it and he was streaming it, and you hit each other on ladder. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> how's the Blissey matchup for control?
2: <laughs> you open Blissey and I was like, oh wait, there's there's probably no way because I don't play the attacking explore I think if you play that card, you it, you would auto win because you can get rid of the B card energy and. Yeah. With R uh, you can attack twice, so even if they go double Blissy, I think you can just pinch through it. But I was like, well, I guess my only out is discarding a Blissy with Jesse James and then the O and then doing the horn. And then I think I chip-chip like a Blissey to the top. And then but uh <laughs> that's like also one of the things about control decks. You kind of need to play them a lot. I, I wasn't it was like the, maybe my third game with like this new engine. And I was taking way too much time in the early game. So I think I would have timed that anyway. And then in the end, I think I also maybe slightly messed up. But...
1: Yeah, that was my goal at the end was just like, or was my win condition. I end I was like, I think he's just going yeah, <laughs> to time it
2: out. Way too much time. Also, when I'm, I feel like when I'm streaming, I, I don't know how people do, do Both of you stream way more than me. So maybe I can ask a question Do you feel like. Or maybe you stream so much that it's not the case, not the case anymore. But do you feel like it's costs costs more energy, or you're less focused, or
1: you no? Know, I think for sure, for sure. Like no matter what, even yeah, even though I've been streaming for so long now, it's still more draining, and it definitely does take away from the focus as well, which sometimes leads to some mistakes. But yeah, definitely, definitely still, still hits.
0: Yeah, Azul's way better playing on stream than I am. I think like obviously he's a better player, period. I know, but <laughs> myself, even but it's there's a huge difference cuz I played IRL the other day and I was just like I forgot how much I think when I'm playing the game cuz on stream I don't there's like you know two thoughts in my head about the game and IRL my brain's just like bam bam you know like oh wait what do they have what do they have what do I have what do I you know it's like three turns four turns ahead and yeah that doesn't happen when streaming so <laughs> it's completely normal <laughs> so why don't you play Decidua in this format? I'm curious. It's like it is our stall deck, right? Or Altaria or something like that. Why are you avoiding the best deck?
2: So the safeguard abilities are <laughs> too easy. Just be safe and you win. That's no fun. Well, I want my opponent to to try to win the game and then I just grind them out. That's how I want <laughs> to win. I don't want to just put Altaria and play. I mean, so, so I have played Altaria. I want to. I mean, you also play Altaria and Winchlex, right? Yeah. Uh, so I I want my, I want I, I like it more when the safeguard ability is like more of like a component of the deck, instead of like just like oh oops I win counters. <laughs> I mean, control also has those matchups for sure. So that's not it's not it's not like control with control you sometimes also play against something. Else. You just win turn one because your opponent's deck uh, isn't prepared. But I mean, I, I play a lot of a lot of the safeguard cards. Like, I mean, Hoopa was, I think, way too strong. It was a basic; it didn't even have to evolve. But I, I like to like have more like have that be one component of the deck instead of just like I didn't. I also didn't like attacking Hoopa, when that was attack. deck. And Altaria and Decidueye, Altaria and Decidue, I mean, they're more like the attacking Hoopa deck. They just you load up your safeguard guy and you make sure it doesn't die and you can get rid of a couple of your opponent counters. <laughs> but I like to play more, like, the the resource war attrition game. That's, like, my, my favorite way to play the control decks. And that's not really how the Altaria and Try decks play, so I tend to sometimes play control decks with an Altaria in it, but not have it be, like, the, the main uh, game plan or focus.
0: That makes sense. Because, yeah, I played Desi the other day and it was... I mean, Candy, Desi, Parasol, you can do nothing.
2: Yeah. I mean, what I do have to say about SIGUI is like, I think a lot of Pokemon is like, I think meta gaming is extremely important. Like, it's like, uh, it's like black before tournament, you don't know what the rest of the room is playing and you kind of have to, everybody has to kind of make their decision about what their call is for the tournament without knowing what the rest of is thinking or making their, what their call is. And then i think that whole process i think that is i think that is more way more prevalent in pokemon than even in like other tcgs like heartstone or magic i mean it's also present there of course but in pokemon i think because of the weakness system and because of you can play attack art and it's really searchable like if you play attack you mm-hmm. can and you and you really and you just like no sideboarding you have to really make you really have to commit to if you want to play some kind of tech yeah it's like this 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 issue right that you can't play infinite amount of decks. you can only play a couple of them so you have to make like the decision and when you see somebody make like all the right decisions and they go really far in the tournament because they made just uh, the, the, this meta gaming decision that was uh, just the right call, i do appreciate it so when the CGI did really well i was like well you can actually kind of see like nobody was talking about the everybody was thinking about all these new decks and then just uh, in the limitless invitational it did extremely well i was like well like i was playing the tournament and i saw oh there's four deciduous and i played against one in round two and then i kind of kept tracking them and they were just all winning like and then i because that's also nice on the new limitless side during the tournament you can just see the meta game and you can see all of the decks Mm. i was just clicking through the decks and nobody was playing any counters. (laughs) <laughs> already, oh, there, already during round two, I was like, "Oh, this Sidewa is like insane! This tournament, <laughs> it's like the absolute best call." Everybody's worried about how do we beat Path to the Peak? Is Path to the Peak even relevant enough? If you play spells, is it is it is it gonna be good? How good is uh, Ice Rider? What's the best uh, Shadow Rider build? Like, there were so many questions. It's like up still relevant? Nobody was thinking about the Sidewa, and then completely swept. And I do appreciate it because I feel like that 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 like. That's part of the game where there's a tournament, you don't know what everybody else is playing, what are you gonna bring? I feel like that that is really important to master, and you can really see like when somebody nails it, they can get uh, really far in the tournament. That happens more often.
0: Yeah, watching watching that was a little upsetting because Spiritum threw so Uh, hard. (laughs) Just don't promote the thing, the the tool jammer in the active, man.
2: I was like, Talking in my team chat, I was I was like saying, "Oh, this this tournament is so funny! Like all the Sijuai make top eight, and then Spiritomb sweeps them all." So I was saying that, but in the end, even Spiritomb couldn't beat the Sijuai. Surprisingly enough,
0: it hurt, it hurt my soul, both as a Spiritomb player and as just like someone who watches the game of like. Promote yeah, literally anything else, and you win the game.
2: <laughs> for the mate, mate of eight, its like the one Italian player that that, that popularized Spiritum pride It's like this—it's like the one Spiritum player that always plays Spiritum. So I, th- I was like, "Well, if anybody can do it. It has to be, it has to be him." <laughs> but then he's still.
0: Yeah, he it. Go I mean, it happens. I'd be lying if I said I don't make misplays. A lot. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the Desi was impressive. And then everyone was immediately yeah. What how does my deck tech for
2: DESI? <laughs> was also, yeah, and then now nobody is like everybody's aware of it and it feels like such an extreme risk to bring Des- desi now. It's kinda you know it's really cla- I, w- I would say this is like a classical element of the Pokemon. These two, like,
1: kind of the the cycle like, of this cycle of decidui. I'll come around again and win a tournament. It's kind of on the but for now, I remember I didn't actually play in the tournament because I was uh busy. But I streamed the night before it was happening, the Invitational, and I was like, if I if I was playing tomorrow, I would counter Decidueye. I I told my chat I was like, if you're playing tomorrow, counter Decidueye. I told my chat to counter Decidueye <laughs> if they're playing the Limitless on the next day. I was like, because it's because those are like the perfect, even like any new meta like is a perfect time to play something like Decidueye because like no one it's because like, like like guess with Decidueye, it goes in cycles right it wins and then it's not good for like three weeks and then it wins. No one texts for it and then it kind of just cycles like that. But in a new meta, it's like perfect because no one's thinking about it. It was the perfect time for it to come back. And I was like, I would because I had like a Cresselia in my what's it called? Calyrex. So I was like, I, would, I think I think this is good enough. This plus you get off a couple astral barrages, maybe. But I had double rod too. So I was like, I can bring him back wow. twice. I can That's chain my that. Cresselia. So I was like, that should be good enough, right? So I I was like, this is what I would play tomorrow. And if <laughs> if you're playing tomorrow, you should tech for tech for the decidui. And then yeah, it swept.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think sometimes also the opposite happened. I think for like Worlds 2019, like everybody was super scared about Sidinja. Oh um, yes, I uh, played two labs to counter. You, and then, and then it was like it was an insane amount of people just being super scared about it and countering it. And <laughs> it's kind of kind of funny sometimes how how things like that happen, and it didn't do well at all. Like I don't think it had any good results in Worlds. Yeah everybody was like extremely scared so i think that's also you know having like being in tune with like how people are perceiving the matter like if nobody's taking for the situation it is extra smart to talk for the situation yourself right at least for this and everybody is taking for the situation you can kind of assume that other people will take care of the situation it's like i don't know who said it some american player is like that he didn't play the giratina that stopped like the breakability back when, when Greninja break was, an, uh, was a thing. And he was like, well, I just let other people play that that, <laughs> that card for me and they'll beat the Greninjas for me. And I won't play it and I will be better in the mirror. I think that mindset is also like part of that whole uh, dynamic. You, you kind of have to like master both. Sometimes you have to not, give, not uh, care and sometimes you need to respect it.
1: Yeah, but, try and get the biggest advantage out of both scenarios.
0: That's that makes a lot of sense. Like, because if people aren't tacking and you do, it's going to be at the top table, so you beat it. And if people are teching who cares? Like, it's going to be at the bottom tables, and you're better than that. But that makes sense. Yeah. So normally we like to talk about like the current on here, but I have to ask Heatmore Raichu, how the heck did you come up with that thing? Because it's
2: was uh <laughs> i mean in hindsight it doesn't look that that crazy i actually <laughs> i was playing the deck for i was playing the deck for a good amount of time like ever since uh basically since it was playable even before the internet that i played it a bit i was playing it in cups and then it was kind of like a funny deck because you flip so many coins so you're just flipping <laughs> coins nonstop. And then, and then the new set Crimson Invasion was like revealed and it had Lusamine in it and it also had, uh, there was like a black star promo, which was the circuitry. And one of the problems of the deck was, it was like a really specific problem. And You had this problem against Gardevoir that they would like, because they, they are an evolution deck. They could, even if adults, they would evolve and take one prize. And then they had three Guzmas. So they could take, get out of Parleys two two more times with their double Guzma. And then with their last Guzma, they will, so they would have taken three prizes, one by evolving and then two more with their Guzmas. And then their last Guzma, they will twilight GX back in three Guzmas and they will take six prizes perfectly with their triple Guzma twilight GX and the fact that they can evolve and take the start of the game. So when I saw saw circuitry and I was like, well, this actually fixes this problem perfectly. If I can just GX with the circuitry and then Ninja Boy out of play. I can just barely beat card for by right, one card. <laughs> so when I, I mean, I mean, I guess I skipped over how I made the deck, but I mean, the deck's just you, you chain right, right. I mean, I guess back then <laughs> there wasn't really anything before it like that, but I mean, the game plan is, and with victini uh, you flip, you, you kind of build up your hands, like you flip, like you recover one and a quarter cards per turn on average if you have the Fictini. So you're actually doing better than, than only paralyzing on average. Like I, I I always looked at it like in, in a four in a four turn span, I'm going to be up one extra additional card. It doesn't sound, sound like much, but if you play 20 turns, then it starts to add up. Hmm. And one of the things is I was playing handiwork to like win the game and maybe hit Guzmas. but at some point I figured out that, you know, because you, you generate one extra card per four turns. So you're kinda handiworking once per four turns. But then actually recovering the handiwork is not the best way to go about it. But you can what you would what you should do is you should build up your devo sprays and you should try to go for like a end game push by attaching the rainbow energy to the Heat More Raichu, which so Circuit was also a reason to play rainbow and into a Durand and you mill four and you just kind of rush uh, and then you will have built up enough of uh, puzzle times and diva space you kinda like finish off by you know instead of recovering handiwork slowly, that's kind of not, not not as efficient as just recovering more deal space and more puzzles so you have enough to like chain the parallel mill and not going for him anymore. So yeah and then in, in in that internet I won against six cardboards. I won against it six times in 14 rounds, and it felt really nice. Like, okay, this one circuity track attack. Like, when I saw the card, I was like, oh, this fixes exact, the exact problem that this deck had. And in the end, it kind of worked out uh, <laughs> pretty well. And then there was Silver Arc, Silver Glass which you couldn't beat at all. Although it did, I, be- I did I beat some Silver Arc decks. Actually, <laughs> you know, in my winning in, back then you had to go seven, you, to, you needed seven wins. Because there wasn't like, I think it was like a, before they did like the 19 points. Actually in my uh, in round 9, I uh, dunked a, a second attack. I, I also played against, played against uh, the CGUI and also started, you know, against the CGUI you couldn't really win. So you had to attack with heat more. <laughs> And Wait, uh, What does so attack? I with,
0: have to look this up.
2: It was like 60 and it burns, I think. So in round nine, I played against Zoroark, and he, he played the Russian Zoroark, but I played Countercatcher to trap it. But then you, need, you also need to like the Countercatcher over and over again. So the Russian Zoroark is really annoying, but luckily not everybody uh, had figured out that Zoroark is such a control engine that you can play it with puzzles. Because the puzzle with Guzmas and puzzles, you couldn't beat that back. Mm-hmm. But the Zoroark, that had a lot of Goosemass in, in the Russian. Uh you could uh try to uh, just uh paralyze lock the Russian Zoroark or stand in, I think, stability. And so we went one-one and then in game three I started and he started he was like playing the pawn yards because of the evolution could hit the card form for weakness. B-sharp. The Bisharp. The bisharp, yeah, and he played like the stadium because it was like the bishop that hit both for weakness and resistance. <laughs> anyway, so he started pawn yard and I went like DCE pass on my more and he was like a pass. and I <laughs> and, I, and I found one of my two rainbows. I think I played triple rainbow and, and I just don't it. like the game, the, the, the other games were so close because, you know, he plays, uh, stand in and I have, and I have to block it. And I kind of need to hit some relevant cards with handiwork or two lamp at some point. or flip really good hats on my uh, lips. So i get more handiwork hits. So it was like a really dense game, and then it ended back in a super weird way with a donk.
0: How many games have you pulled off in your time? And as well, you two, and any time like you play like a non-prize taking deck where like you've donked or you know something similar with something like Heatmore Raichu or anything like that. Like, is that like one of the only times, or is this consistent?
1: I mean, I've attacked with Artic. I've like drawn six prizes with Articuno we a lot with here. Pidgey, but with Pidgey control, but. I can't think of any outside of that that really come to mind. But that one for sure. But that one's like not, that's like one of your win conditions to win fast sometimes is just to attack with Articuno once you know you have them locked or they need to get really, really lucky and you just don't have enough time. You just start swinging.
2: Yeah, Articuno was relevant against Dibble the uh, Blacephalon. They could go Dibble Naganado that recovered energy. Yeah. And then you could sweep them with Articuno. Articuno sweeping was relevant. It was also pretty quick. I won games just because of time, because Articuno is quick. I have won games with sledgehammer where they against against alone they have like they they attack into sledgehammer and then you're playing against giga Super, and you want you sweep everything they have with your one plus <laughs> and i i remember so one of the so I, i've been playing since uh diamond and pearl but i played it more like casual actually so one of the, one of the reasons why i really like the the AUIC 2017 when I played Two is it, it was actually my first tournament outside of the Nether to play Pokemon of oh. Rolls. So, this was like also a kind of special memory, I guess. Mm-hmm. But before that, there was the Dutch Open, which was like, I think, like a two, like, I don't know how many players, but it was a pretty big special event. And I was playing the Wader deck with uh, Shaymin. And I also played Lugia EX, which had uh, Eva Ball, because against uh, iVital EX they would charge their one iVital and you could kind of slowly poke it down with shaming and then finish it off with Lugia and then it's kind of like kind of taking chaos is also a really efficient way to take resources from your opponent out of play then i remember in rounds in like the last round of swiss i played against the rainbow road and i won in game two, by taking six prizes with Lugia and Shade. <laughs> yeah. Also I've won with Steelix. I've won with one of my Dutch friends, Benjamin van. He also plays a lot. He played in Offenbach, I think it was, the original when I played Steelix. And he was playing Zoroark. In game one, he was like, oh, I'm just gonna, I'm just curious, what, what exactly are you playing? So playing really safe, not spending his resources. And I was like, and I took six prizes with Tackle. So that that's that's more like when your opponent is playing too safe, you mm-hmm. might as well just win by attacking right not like the the dunk when it was extremely extremely tight in many and it ended like that it happens so uh, less often
0: I love that I love when a deck you can just like pull out like uh oh my opponent, you know like, you're not gonna I, do anything I, cool i i, 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 yeah,
2: I, I actually <laughs> okay maybe one more good example because i I actually like. Putting attackers in in control decks, especially like Gigasupra. Mm. So I was playing Steelix, and this was back when I was experimenting more with it. I played against Holo Kiawe, and I had Steel fr- Steel Metal frying pan. So you remove the weakness, and they hit into my Steelix back then i played i think i played like counter energy and the Celebi that you can use the outrage attack on the old and then i swept <laughs> thing with the steel <laughs> was like one of the one of the uh cameraman uh, like the there's like owen and brennan cameraman they're like Dutch twins and they're all i think they're really good they won the team challenge together with oh. some, with uh, two other players of course and one of them got second in the one of the regionals and he lost the finals against the family. And it was just kind of funny playing against him and he like, hit into, he didn't even know metal frying pan because at that point it wasn't really a played card. Of course, afterwards when I mean, metal types got really strong, it became very more relevant, but like, he didn't know that he didn't one-shot it with ho and, and I was like, set to be out of the go away with your ho
0: So you get away with these techs pretty consistently. It sounds like, is I this... mean,
2: I, I try them out and sometimes. You know, sometimes I try out the tech and it, I don't think it's even good, but even if you play a better, you can have like a highlight real moment. so when you try out a lot of techs you're gonna run into situations where it's gonna be really good, and then later on you still decide that it's not gonna be worth it, but you still have maybe a couple funny <laughs> situations with it
0: okay that' that makes sense well let's let's think about like what was I gonna say? okay, but anyway, the text like do you think it's a benefit in a control deck because you often have one really long game one where you can pull these like for lack of a better term shenanigans out that your opponent's not expecting or do you think it just works regardless of even if you can go to game two and three where you're like hey remember i got that i don't know celebi or whatever like what do you think is the strength is it because of the long game one or is it just like is it just strong to be strong
2: i mean I'm. I'm not gonna lie. Like playing really out of the box deck cards or just decks that don't see much play, it, it, it does like lead to situations where your opponent is not gonna play around something. Mm-hmm. They just don't expect it, and you get like kind of a free win because they, with closed deck lists, they didn't expect it. But usually, when I play a tech card, I have like a, a goal in mind. I'm just. I'm. I'm almost never. I mean, when I like, actually are like just testing stuff. Usually when I play a deck card, I have like a clear, like I have a problem with my deck that I want to solve. And I think like this deck card is going to cover a weakness that it's a relevant weakness and a weakness that I can't fix in like an other way or like, in a more, you know, by adding more consistency to, to my deck. So that's also why I like ended up cutting the setup because although it's nice, I don't feel like that is like something that comes up often enough or some that didn't really fix a problem. It was just a, kind of like a nice bonus to have. So. So when I, yeah, when you have like these, I guess, shenanigans or like really out of the box tech cards, I mean, there are, the surprise element sometimes comes into play, especially when your opponent really has no idea what you're doing. But in general, like when I go to a tournament and actually have, I'm prepared and I feel like I've refined my list and I've spent a lot of time figuring out which cards I want to play. A lot of the times, even if cards are kind of like, they have like a surprise element that can come into play. Usually, I do have like a purpose in mind. Like, I do want to play this card because I feel like my deck needs it to cover some kind of weakness, or because it's gonna be good, even if my opponent plays around it. So it's not. It's not. You you can sometimes get like cheesy wins, but I also don't don't put I don't only put cards in my deck because of that uh, reason.
0: That makes sense.
1: Yeah, checking for cheesy wins is like uh, I think a lot of things. Like as one thing that like a lot of players need to learn to not do, because like they'll have like that one scenario, and then they'll never want to take that card out of the deck, even though it's just not good in yeah. the deck. Because you know yeah. that one time on PDCG ladder game two I mean, years you, ago,
2: <laughs> <laughs> and then you lose ten times because your deck uh, doesn't work. Yeah. yeah. Then, you, then you are you disregard the losses, and you are like, oh, well if that one specific situation arises again, it's like uh,
1: you always want to try and get not- as much as much constant value out of your cards as possible or like specific at least in a specific matchup at the very least
0: so this is a general question this isn't a control question but i mean you can go back to that i guess if you want how often should a tech card be valuable are we talking about like every matchup it's for like it should be pretty much every game in that matchup or like like how often i know there's not like a hard number but if you're only using a tech card one out of every 10 games, is that like, oh, this sucks. Like it's not worth a spot or because it's something I struggle with.
1: I talk a lot about this, especially like when I do coaching and stuff, like there is a number out there that tells us Whether or not we should play a card based on the value we get out of it game to game. No one knows what it is. So a lot of it just comes off of feeling when you just play the deck. And you're like, am I, do I feel like I'm using this card? And that just kind of comes with like so much experience in the game. So that way when you, you can more quickly go through cards, right? You try this out, you play it for five games. You're like, ah, that's not it. Try another one. That's not it. Try one. Oh, that's pretty good. Let's keep that in there. Let's keep doing that. It's, it all just kind of comes from feeling from playing with the card and just having experience in the game and knowing when a card is good enough to keep or get rid of or bring in when you need it for when you want to want it for a certain matchup like a certain matchup gets popular like i'm gonna put this back in my deck or i'm gonna take this out because the matchup's not popular anymore and so on and there is like a number out there that tells us you know when we should play a card based on how much value it gives us and based on the expected return on our win percentage based on that value but it's so hard to Find that number when we're just putting a card in and out of our deck so constant and trying to figure out what we need, you know, for the tournament in, you know, eight hours from now or whatever. So, yeah, most of it just comes from feeling in my experience in the game so far.
0: Okay. Do you agree, Sander?
2: Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think taking, like, uh, just looking at the uh, you, like, expected value of your cards and kind of taking a mathematical approach makes a lot of sense to me. Like, at the end of the day, you're playing to give yourself the best odds to win. You're not playing for anything else. So, looking at it that way it does make uh, the most sense to me as well.
3: Cool.
0: To go back to the heat, more Raichu a little bit. I know you've both seen Azul. You've given your opinion on stream before, so I think I know you. From Chilling Rain, there is a Slurpuff. How long yeah, until not- the Slurpuff gets broken? <laughs> what does it do flip three coins put a number of cards up to the number of heads from your discard pile into your hand
2: it's a a buffed heatmore but heatmore had a nicer attack name it's like older sloth or something like that
0: yeah this one's follow the scent for a twin energy (laughs) too colorless
1: we do have glimwood tangle as well right so
2: actually i already i I did the calculations you're, you're, so, if you have Glimbo Tangle in play, you're like 1.875 cards you're recovering on average if you reflip all your uh, one-tails and triple tails. I mean, it's the same with Waylord. So,
0: Glimbo
2: Tangle. 1.87 is I mean, so it adds like uh, 0. 0.375, like 338. Adds it to your. So, let's say if you have Glimbo Tangle in play for three, you have the, the stadium in play for three attacks, you are. are because you also need to put a stadium in play, right? You're minusing a card, mm-hmm. and and then you need to attack three times, and then you are you have you have your value of your uh, I have like you have gained value from having the stadium play. So I'm not 100% sure because you also made me want other stadiums. You're st- like it's fictini or fictini is it can get killed, but the stadium is like it's easier to replace a stadium than to impulse kick to of rush. So I think it's worse than fictini. And maybe also you, you would want maybe color mine or something like that. It's also an evolution. It's not level, it would be way, especially since we're getting like the level you can get back to 90 HP Pokemon from your Dispel item in the near, Ooh. in the future. Yeah. And the Slurp it's not 90 HP. So that's kind of unfortunate. I mean, when I see that card, I mean, obviously I'll also <laughs> get like reminiscent of feed more <laughs> and mean A lot of people, actually a lot of people have asked me about that card. (laughs) And Munchlax is rotating. I think there's like also Xernia, Psychic Xernia.
0: For a Psychic Energy, put a trainer card. Yeah, because that was one that I immediately went to was like, this has to be good, right? (laughs) It's not. Well, it's not yet, at least. Half of Junk Hunt's not that good. Half of Junk Hunt, (laughs) yeah.
2: You can also use this actual save IV if you want to recover trainers. Which, I don't know. It's like uh, maybe it could be good. It kind of depends on one of the things is I, I feel like this kind of comes back to like you know that sometimes you want to take chaos with control x One of the things I've been kind of keeping an eye on is a lot of the single strike cards, kind of interesting for control. Like the one supporter that that you deal twenty for every price your opponent has taken,
3: mm-hmm.
2: like doing one hundred damage when your opponent is on one price and kind of you play the resource war and then in the late game you just sweep with a single price attacker. And then Bruno is kind of good. You have like the VS seeker for single strike cards uh the tower the, the single strike towers like a control engine and uh, flannery removes like a special energy in the stadium like i i think some of these cards have like elements that control is interested in like like i said i played xerneas plism to attack in control and you would play sledgehammer and uh, it's not unusual to play attackers to just take out one of your opponent's attackers in control and i feel like I, Maybe there there need to be a couple more good single strike cards or like single strike cards that don't need like the entire Andoom build around because mm-hmm. I don't think you want that in a control deck. But maybe some kind of War of Attrition control deck. And then you also have like a single strike package. And then you just sweep your opponent's attackers and get their resources out of play that way. And it's kind of because of the VS Seeker cards, it's not that you can use it for Bruno or you can use it for Flannery or you can use it to get extra damage. It's not something I've like figured out yet for post rotation, but you know, whenever it's a new single, I, I do read all of the new single strike cards. And is this maybe the card that makes this actually work? Like one of the things that uh, the like in the back of my mind.
0: I think that would be the mind blowing thing to me as someone who's a bad deck builder, because single strikes literally just I'm gonna go boom and KO yeah. everything, <laughs> and you're but, just like it's control. Yeah
2: boom like one of like it's really good if your opponent has only one attacker in play and or he's load charging all their energy on one threat and you blow it up it's like extremely it's like what what control has done before it's kind of why you play articuno in the BiGX as well Mm -hmm. it's like having like this this combination of, of like having cards that chip away at the single energy cards and because you because like like uh Hammers or of grunt and because you have like these small effects that remove like one single resource, you really get punished if you spread out your resource, uh, your energy attachments on different attackers. You really want to put all your energies on one attacker. And then if you have something to punish that as well, it's like a really nice interplay between like uh, having like effects that remove one energy or have like a small effect but always work, and then having like this one big blowout card that covers the situation where your opponent puts all their energy on one guy. And single strike kind of is that thing, right? It's Mm -hmm. how it's designed. And then we also have the Flannery, which is removal. And we have Bruno and we have, you know, some of these cards are not that. Bruno is also played in uh, Munchlax, for example. It's like a draw supporter that doesn't get rid of all your cards in hand, like uh, Sycamore. So, you know, there's, I I feel like there, I don't think there, everything is there yet. Maybe we need some more of these Japanese cards or like some new sets. Is there, if they keep supporting Scene of Spike, it's like one thing I. I do kind of, you know, keep my eye on.
0: I am all for this deck, and I really hope that it comes to fruition yes. to exist because it sounds cool.
2: World's, World's two thousand twenty two twenty two world winning <laughs> deck is, uh, being spoiled right here.
0: Calling it so. right now. Sander wins with single strike control. <laughs> That'd
1: be pretty cool to see.
0: <laughs> I do have to say, and this is more for the audience than either of you, of course, because this is something that you both know, but. To go off of what you just said, so when I first started, I got coaching from uh, Isaiah Williams, who is also someone who's played a lot of control, and every session was him playing Zora control against me, because he's like, if you're going to learn the game, this is how you're going to learn. I, it, it did work. It definitely worked. But one of the things is, I was on Buzzwell and I, I said something, and he's like, what do you mean? You are a control deck. I'm like, dude, what are you talking? I'm just punching stuff in the face. Like He's like, no, no, no. You remove energy. How do you remove energy? And like, uh, I take a knockout. And then at that point, it's like clicked in me of like this concept of like, it's the exact same thing. It's just, how are you doing? Are you doing with a crushing hammer heads or an enhanced hammer or taking a knockout? It's the same thing. The energies go away. And that was, yeah. that was definitely a big thing for me of like, oh, wait, the g- I see the game in a different way slightly now. And there was some other stuff, of course. We got the Slurpuff. Okay, good. <laughs> I just wanted to ask about that one. All right. One more thing for me that I want to know, because I played control to one regional and it took a lot of like, I was already like a I guess, solid player at this point. I've day twoed multiple times at this point. I'd made worlds, all that stuff, but I was nervous about like, how do I play this at a regional? Like, am I good enough to do this? You know, it's like control has a stigma of like, you have to be a good player. You play the game differently. And I had actually talked myself out of playing it at a different regional before where I had worked pretty hard and on this Regigigas Hoopa deck with, you know, White Curum and all that stuff. And it was,
2: it was good. I was card.
0: Right. And like, I I'd, I'd built what it was worse than the ones that were at NAIC that year and all that, but it was on the right path. But I talked myself out of it because I'm like, oh, I'm not good enough to play control. So for both of you, how do you get over that hump of like, people tell you, oh, control's for good players, control's hard to play. How do, you, how do you build up the courage to just, like, bring this deck to a regional?
2: I think it's kind of overrated. I think playing, like, quote, unquote, like you know, the uh, regular decks, the sequencing is super intricate. Like, playing, your, playing the first three turns of, like, Pico Rome and, like, I don't know, any, any deck, like, Silver Arc or Pissor or whatever, it's, like, also, you know, you have a lot of small decisions. I don't, I think the, the thing about control is uh, what's more, it's not, it's like, you need a lot of mental stamina to play for nine for 14 or 15 or like 17 rounds. Like when you reach the finals of the regional, you have played like nine hours on day one and then another, you know, seven, eight hours on day two, and you, and you are going to play a lot of long games. You're going to play games that are going to have tension in them for longer, I guess. So I don't. I feel like it's, it's, it's a bit more, I think saying, you know, controls is for good players. I think that's way too simplistic. I think the, the normal decks, there's a lot of sequencing and skill involved and a lot of deck building choices that are, you know, on the exact same level as how difficult it would be for control decks. I just think for control decks, I, I feel like it's like one of the reasons why I like playing the, playing the archetype so much, because I feel like if I put a lot of time in it, yeah, a lot of the mental strain it's gonna be easier for me because i played so much and then when i played at the regional like like the it's like because i've played it so much it's like less training because i feel like that maybe is a factor you're gonna need like a lot of, and i also think for control you need maybe more patience and you need to like stay level-headed throughout the tournament you need to like not panic or not you know make rest decisions or kind of Lose track of what's going on in the game. I mean, that's also the case for other decks. But in control, like these uh, elements that other decks have in control, you it just keeps going for I guess more time. It's just I guess more draining if you're not used to playing it. But saying it, it's more it needs more skills. I don't think it's I think that's a, I Don't think that's. A, I don't think that's true at all.
1: Yeah, I agree for sure. Yeah, I remember I played when I played Shin Ninja, at, I think most of it is just like mental draining. Like you're playing that much longer and then some of it gets really repetitive, which is like also really draining. When I played Shin Ninja at Santa Clara, I played zero games with the tech beforehand. Yeah. And then in day two, I was just so done. It was like, it was insane. But yeah, I don't think it really take, like if you're going to misplay with Control, you're probably misplaying with PikaRom. Like it's not, there's not that big of a, a difference. It's just like, a lot of people don't go out of their way to want to learn the deck, so of course you're gonna misplay more when you first pick up a deck. But you, if you also just, you know, if you only played Picaram and you just first picked up Luke Metal, you're also gonna misplay a lot. Like, but I, mean, I think one of the biggest weaknesses of so many players is sticking to one deck, because I think you learn so much more about not just the other decks, but about the game, especially when you're newer to the game. And you know, uh, I feel like a lot of play, players when they first get into the game, like, they like they start playing the game, they play with decks, and then they find their like deck that they really like, and they kind of stick with it for a while. But you you learn so much more about the game in general when you pick up control or you pick up uh ice rider or whatever that you haven't played before but I mean, not just seeing the decks from their their point of view now you're used to playing against them but now you're also just like uh, learning more about the game in general I mean, yeah i don't think control really goes too far out of the realm of i mean the games are longer so there's more opportunity for you to misplay right so i think yeah but it is mostly just a kind of you know it's a marathon not a not a sprint kind of kind of thing
2: I think if anything, maybe the deck building is slightly harder, just just only because uh, a lot of the other decks, like you said at the beginning, like Eternatus, you get Eternatus with four Crobats, and the deck, you know, for, for like four forty-five cards, that kind of builds itself. Like, yeah, I'd rather you. Want, but even then, you know, ironing, ironing out the list, like, do you want to play Italian on Do you want to play, you know, in well, decks, do you want to play Jirachi with how many switch cards and gears and stuff? But maybe in control, the deck building is maybe that, that is slightly more intricate, but I think in terms of playing it it is, I think it's mainly just more draining. And also because time is a factor, (laughs) you can't play control and take like five, take like 10 minutes on all your turns. It's just, you're, you will have to actually kind of be accustomed. You, you kind of have to keep up your pace, right? So the combination of, I don't think the, the skill level is what makes control hard to play maybe. Deck building is maybe a little bit more confusing if you're not used to deck building, and I think the playing it it is more draining and you are more forced to actually keep up your pace when you're playing. I think that and that kind of deters people there like i don't wanna I don't want rush myself the entire tournament and then now and I have to rush myself and I'm also going to be drained. It's even fun for like nine hours. I think a lot of people are like can also play another deck, but in terms of skill, I don't think the difference is there at all. Yeah,
1: so, I, I mean, what I always say is like the best, like deck building, and even in other decks, is hard. The best players in the world are also the best deck builders. Like it goes hand in hand. Like there's, I don't think there's really like any players that are, you know, deck building is yeah, it's one of the <laughs> hard, it's the hardest thing to do in the game. So there's, I mean, there's nothing wrong with just copy pasting, following Sander on Twitter and copy pasting his newest <laughs> control build. Like you don't have to come up with something fresh. Like the resources through like Limitless and all that over the last couple of years is like so huge for new players to just. like that's the biggest resource everyone should take advantage of go to limitless find a deck that looks cool copy paste it and you can make changes but like just start there There's no, there's no nothing wrong with just copy pasting a deck list that looks cool and looks interesting and then you know make your adjustments from there
0: off the time management a real quick one do either of you wear a watch when you play or do you just have like your internal clock set to 50 minutes perfectly
2: i watch the the, like i don't i don't play with a with a watch but i watched you know when you're playing in like a convention center there's always a look somewhere right so
0: is there yeah, <laughs> yeah. like
2: yeah, yeah usually they have like a huge uh Digital clock. where they yeah. have like a huge huge timer at least in the regional stuff
1: have you not seen them before melo well, i
2: feel like although no. I, I, feel, I feel like when i play on stream because sometimes the stream setup is right at some for example when i played in brazil I played on stream and i was like i lost game one and game two my opponent he was like he thought this is also some one of those things right he doesn't know what i'm playing so he thought that i was my win condition was Belalpa. so he was just playing super conservatively because there was he thought there was too little time for me to win and he was playing ADP and he was playing it with end resolve so he had some end resolves, but he was just not playing them because he thought like the only way i lose is if i end resolve i wave and i discard my deck and he belal was my win condition was actually in on hand, so I was on <laughs> my deck, but at that, at that, at that tournament, at that, on the stream, I had no idea what the time was. So I was just playing and I was just doing my turns. I had no idea how many cards I had. And then, then time was called I had absolutely no clue, but usually I, I like to know, like to like see where the time is. At that tournament, I, on that, on the stream setup, I couldn't see it and then, time, the, the, you know, three turns gets called and then I start counting my cards. And I just count everything, and I was like, "Oh, this is exactly 35." <laughs> <Just kind> of, <laughs> oh, like, I remember right that. I, I remember watching that. <laughs> right, was... right before, right before time gets called, I had no idea how many cards I had. <laughs> <laughs> just playing. I, I know there's not much, much. Like when I'm my turn, when it's my turn, I just make my moves, and I hope it's gonna be enough. <laughs> was it Was exactly enough? Although I, I did uh, spend. You know, I went for like the Omastar, and I used like scoop-up to get like less Pokemon in play, so I blocked his stamp. But it turned out he he played 0-stamp. So I also uh, wasted some cards going for Omastar, even though I didn't need it. But I, so he didn't know that I didn't play Belalwa, but I didn't know that he didn't play Stamp. So i conscious, and then I didn't, I had no idea what the time was. But yeah, I think for control you, you should, if if possible, min, yeah, it can be relevant. Sometimes it can be relevant, like you need to, like, make the decision, you know, just gonna kind of start attacking with Articuno. Like it's one one tie, there's like five minutes left. He has like twenty cards. I can't ever deck him out, so might as well try to like take six prizes with Art I've I've done that before. Like hope hope he doesn't top deck and you can win sometimes in like pretty quickly with Artino, especially when you KO like attackers against like welder decks. If you KO Heatran and you KO Fitini Prison, they need like pretty good top decks and you have a power plant in play, like Sometimes it's just cool to take like the the, late, the risks if there's a little time left and just play to win quickly.
1: Yeah, I started wearing a watch. I think like I, didn't, I haven't always worn a watch. Like two years ago, three years ago, maybe I started wearing a watch. Because like there's no reason not to take advantage of that. Whenever there's like a clock though, whenever I have those clocks at the regionals or internationals, I'll just I won't look at my watch, I'll just use those. But um, like otherwise, yeah, there's no reason not to.
0: They don't all Portland Regionals does not have a clock. I, feel very... I don't
1: think they, they, they maybe didn't. Portland maybe doesn't. But like at all the ICs, they always do, I think. And then most, maybe most of the American regionals, I feel like, have them now.
0: Did uh, Dallas have one?
1: I think, I don't remember.
0: Because I feel like, because I was playing Sablegarb there, and I remember where It's like a, the little, rec-
1: like, black rectangles with like digital yeah, numbers have... on it that in the corners World. of the play areas. Yeah.
0: But I don't think non-Pokemon tournaments have them.
1: I think some of them do. I, I don't know how many I don't know how many regionals you make it to though, Oh
0: Only on the West Coast, so maybe okay. Maybe California just doesn't do it like that.
1: That's maybe it's the East Coast thing. I don't know. <laughs> I know some of them do. Some of them definitely do.
0: All right, Chat says no clock in Dallas. Okay, so it's not. Maybe it's just specifically the regionals I go to. Do not put out <laughs> clocks.
2: Yeah. Well, sometimes they have like a clock, but depending on which seat you have, you have a better view of the clock. Yeah. So, the round gets up and you rush to your seat, so you can have a better view. The
1: remember the first, the but, first tournament yeah. they had a clock. It was it was, it was I uh NAT. I think it was US NATS a couple of years ago. I remember one of my friends saying he he was purposely sitting on one side of the table because they had one <laughs> clock on one one area. So you had to sit on one side of the table to be able to see it while you were playing, unless you wanted to turn around.
0: Yeah,
2: it's it's a good strategy. I feel like a lot most European regional stuff like like a either there there's a clock in the hall or there's like a they have like a power like a I don't know screen setup where they project uh, it's pretty clear. Then you oh, can also nice. see. That seems
0: so nice. And then, and then
2: it goes like from fifty minutes, it counts down, and then it starts counting up like how much overtime there is. And then it's, sometimes it's actually kind of. You know sometimes it's better to not know like how much the tournament is getting delayed right <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just be like oh it's like oh we we're 30 minutes in overtime because there was some insane judge call and there had to be like triple head judges and a lot of stuff happened and you can see that's like how much the delay is and then, uh, see, be able to see it
0: yeah that, that definitely is a yikes when you have those rounds where you're like i'm pretty sure we're supposed to be done a while ago <laughs> <laughs> Actually, like, you,
1: uh, you, you, like, look for the judges where they're all crowded around a table or something. <laughs> Where's it going down? <laughs> all right.
0: We got uh, a lot of questions from Twitch chat. I don't know if we'll get to all of them. We'll see. But we're going to go ahead and uh, get to those questions. As always, we're live on Twitch. You can ask questions in the chat. First one. For both. It's professor, uh, there's three of us here. So <laughs> I assume it means for you <laughs> two. If there is no top 16s for Worlds how would that decide how you travel for next year's Worlds? If I worded that correctly. I can reword it. But like if there's no top 16 automatic day three, I guess, yeah, exactly. No stipends, no auto to Worlds. How would that impact how you decide to travel and how much you're going to play next year?
1: I mean, I still kind of want to go to the ICs at least one more round anyways. Like I don't know how much competitive I'm going to be even in my future. So I was like this year, I like or the coming up season, I was like, I kind of plan to go to all the ICs. And I feel like they will probably have something for stipends to like motivate the top player. They want, they want us all to show up at the, you know, OCIC. They want us to be there, right? So I'm sure they'll have something. I don't know what, what they have planned, but I already, I already plan to not go to expanded unless they make drastic <laughs> changes personally. So I'm not going to go to any expanded regionals, anyways. And then I'm in a great location for a lot of regionals in general. So I'll probably go to every standard regional still. And then the ICs, I guess, are a little bit up in the air depending on stipends. But, and then I guess like the whole top 16 thing for worlds. Cause I guess, what have they? I don't even remember what they've said so far.
0: Oh, they've said know is it's going to be a Thursday at 500 CP, a Friday invite at question mark CP, and then a Saturday, and then Sunday is finals.
1: Oh. Yeah, but we don't know if like there's a Saturday invite threshold, right? Correct. Okay. Yeah, I think
2: I think maybe there's not going to be a Saturday, only a Friday. But you know, there's unprecedented. So no, so they are planning. But for me, I mean. Kind of have you know a lot of people that I know a lot of the, you know active competitive players they're always uh, trying to chase off points. I, I just I, I'm I'm relatively not I mean, of course, I care, but it's just like going to the regionals and playing the regionals. And if I can go to an internet, if it fits in my schedule and it's you know too expensive or too too time consuming, you know, I'm just gonna go for example, I in Worlds 2019. I did really well on like I did really well on all the European regionals. I I played two tomorrow and I top eight like a couple of them. I think like three four or something. I don't know. Like I had a lot of points from the regionals and uh, but I just didn't max out my cups because I just kept playing and I just kept losing all points at cups. But I was like, well, if I'm gonna go to Worlds, actually I'm I'm fine playing day one because I'm gonna travel all the way to Washington. Might as well play two days, right? (laughs) Kind of like more, more easy, more value for my travel. travel, uh. (laughs) So I played day one and I went 6-1 and then I can also, and I also played day two and I went 3-3-1, so I got to play two days. So I kind of feel like, I I was kind of fine with that. So I feel like as long as I qualify and I'm, I'm gonna, you know, I'm going to play, I think traveling and like going to the region also like preparing for it like talking to the other European players about, you know, the metagame and Pokemon. So I'm just going to keep competing. I'm not, I feel like I'm not as worried about the points or like the race. I mean, the stipend stipends, there's a lot of money. So I completely understand that people want to get back, you know, a thousand or even more dollars in travel stipends. And it, in involves if you qualify for day two, like, it was like financially way better to try to max out my Cups and challenges so, so that I have a good shot at, at, at day two and then at Worlds, serves pretty good payout. So I can understand why you would want to uh, chase the points, but I like to just focus on the, just like f- focusing on the playing part, just going to regionals and just, uh, for those, and if I get a lot of points, or if there's some qualification process, then I'll just see where I end up. end up. And yeah, so but but there's a i feel like it kind of differs for everybody, right? How much time they have, how much every, how much uh, return they want for the time they invest in it, stuff like that. But I'm pretty, you know, I, I'm yeah. not a uh, Not trying to maximize my my
0: CP. And I'm obviously significantly worse than both of you, but I'm the same as Sander, where it's just like, I'm always going to go to a couple of regionals regardless, because it's fun. And I know I'm not good enough or have the time for the top 16 race. So it's like a very easy, I don't care.
2: (laughs) I I do have to say, I think in America, the top 16 race is definitely a level above the top 16, because there's more players, I think. And there's also more tournaments, so there's more opportunity to like get a lead, I guess. If you travel all around the states, like there's more regionals in the states than in Europe. So I feel like maybe the top sixteen races, you know, if you do want to be part of it, it is a very, you know, you do kind of have to like make this very conscious decision about like I am gonna do it one hundred percent, or I'm gonna do it maybe more like laid back.
1: Yeah, I think it's definitely a little bit, a little bit yeah. more of a commitment for sure. Yeah,
2: yeah, and, and I, th- I think it makes more sense in the states that you beforehand you decide for yourself like how I'm gonna plan my year, that you make like a decision about how you're gonna approach it. I think in Europe there's like you kind of just go to the regionals and see how you do, and if you do well enough, then you start, <laughs> you know, chasing after 22 or top 16 or stuff like that. Because there's just less and less meets.
0: Yeah, in the States, invite and chill is the play. Just commit <laughs> to that now. Insomniac asks, What can I? Ooh, this will be an interesting one. Uh, we'll see. What can I expect if I take coaching lessons with you? So, Sandra, do you offer coaching? Um, or is this an Azul? Right, uh, okay. Uh, I mean, one of the
2: things is. I mean. so the
0: question is what can i expect if i take coaching lessons with you as a medium to good player so
1: almost all my coaching is is like gameplay analysis and teaching you how to read the board state none of my coaching is like more situational stuff like with like and i get like a lot of whenever i do coaching i get like a lot of deck building questions but i think like until you understand how the game functions and you like can look at a board state and properly play out the cards you can't really like it's hard to build decks because you don't know like what feels right as as far as council card goes, because when you're sequencing and when you're going for a game plan on a turn, you're not doing it correctly. You have no idea what you need or what you want or how stuff actually genuinely feels on the board state. So all my coaching is just literally, for the most part, just teaching you how to read the board state and trying to help you get better and better at it. So that way when you, a new set comes out or a new deck comes out, it's the same thing. Like you're just like looking at the board state, trying to understand what's going on and trying to understand what, what you want to do. And then a lot of it is past that point is just trial and error. Like there's multiple lines of play to take. You take one, you see how to interact with the game state, see how the game interacts with what you chose. And then you have to be able to decide whether or not what you did was right, wrong and what else you could have done. So h- helping you understand that process and then learning how to read the board state. Cool.
0: We kind of got to this one a little bit. Or Sander, you alluded to it and what you're thinking, but Bob McDougal asks, "Does control survive post-rotate?"
2: I mean, I always like to think that there's always a way. <laughs> the only, the only question is, is uh, are you, I, 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 am, or anyone might, or anyone is, am I myself good enough to figure out a way to make it work? I mean, now I'm always infinitely optimistic, I but I feel like when you talk about control, one of the important things also you can't I, I never think about it i mean i do th- kind of think about it in a vacuum but way less than other decks like maybe hand look is way more for like a singular strategy that you do yourself but like it kind of depends on like how good how is the good can you deal with cards like that like it shadow rider and this 15 is like spreading flames like are those kind of cards going to be super relevant how can you deal with those and how's the meta gonna shape up and what what tools do you have yourself and i mean i'm i i always think that's i mean maybe you know to like i always feel like if you, there, there i always feel like there is going to be a way it's just about finding the right mix of cards analyzing the meta and finding like looking at the other decks and like finding the cracks and the weaknesses of the other decks and maybe even if it appears that there's not really a way, if you just study the other decks in the meta well enough, maybe you can figure out some way that you can target them and beat them. So, I always think that's, and there, there are, there's gonna, there's, so there are gonna be cards. There's gonna be Cheryl. You can heal your Maxes. I think Pulpet stays in the format. So maybe some Pulpet. Maybe some Pulpet. There's Cheryl. There's, like I said, the single strike stuff can could be good. You have the uh, of to get resources back and yeah i mean i think the solo arc that we are getting is really good for control it's it's you can like uh, swap Mm -hmm. it for a stage one in your disc repel so kind of has like the Ditto prism effect you could play maybe like a 2-2 or 3-3 solo arc line and maybe you could play like a couple stage ones as a one-off and the solo arc line just gets every stage one and even uh, just let's say there's one stage one that's really important in one matchup you play it once, and it treats we solo arc. You can get this one stage one multiple times, just through your solo arcs. So that card, I, I like, I haven't built anything, but it's, it, it looks like a card that, that is like that's plays right in this like toolboxy nature of control decks. And then the, the new mylotic that stops uh, your opponent's supporters from disrupting your hand. So we are losing stamp, but we're getting a mylotic that protects you from Marnie. So like I was testing the the Starly Bird Keeper engine a couple of days ago on stream and like it's really good but if you get marnies you lose all your cards but if you can play that my with the starly and with path to the peak you still block a lot of abilities you have pretty good the starly kind is like a Stevens resolve or like like a sylveon i mean there, there, there are cards that are you know there are some cards that are pretty good i think and mm-hmm. the way to make it work exactly that's all that is kind of have to to, to look at the meta as a whole and see you know in on from which angle can these attack the xp be like uh shut down like in which way can i uh, run my opponent out of win conditions that that, uh, like in in which way can i run my opponent out of win conditions always also uh, depends on what are my opponent win conditions so since there's not a post creation meta yet i can't give like a definitive answer like how control is going to shape up but there are some cards and I'm always hopeful. I'm most likely gonna try to build some control decks and bring them to regionals. It's very possible.
0: Yeah, you you convinced me a little bit there. Just like as you were talking, like Zoroark being able to switch out for like, say, Altaria or yeah. I, don't, I don't know, Slurpuff, <laughs> sure, or and like the, an attacker and the, single
2: strike is seems good. Uh-huh. And the, the the evo soda card that like evolves something and then your turn ends. Mm-hmm. You get to stage one with your turn ends, but you can do it. It's like a Wally, You can do it on the same turn. Like those effects that end your turn. Those are always like the least. Those the drawback of ending your turn is always the least bad for control decks, right? Yeah. You don't like, need to attend. In normal, it, yeah. In a normal deck, if you play Steven's resolve, you're gonna like when Steven's resolve was released, people were t- talking about. Maybe you can play it as a one-off in card war and is this card good seems pretty slow there's no way that this is going to be relevant enough but of course a control that can it's almost not a drawback at all so that card always also looks pretty promising with Altaria you can, can, can get like the Hoopa effect can swap blue and get making an Altaria out of the blue without having like the weakness of the swap blue ever so there are some uh, there's there's i i always think there, there there has to be something
0: right speaking of that wasn't there i forget if this was purely a meme or someone actually took it to a tournament and did okay but it was steven's resolve peak rob
1: i remember that okay wasn't so it, it wasn't just wasn't <laughs> it wasn't it wasn't it emery i think it was emery
0: that's that sounds like something he would do so maybe it's not good i can
1: tell you that much <laughs>
2: <laughs> i think that with steven's resolve is uh it's uh, good deck
0: in my books. <laughs> I mean, why get the turn one full blitz when you can get the turn two full blitz?
1: Guaranteed every time.
0: Sir Pandage asks to Sander. So Azul, Pandage doesn't care about you. Unmod him. <laughs> what was the first control deck you played to success?
2: It has to be Waylords. So I said so. Like I said, EUIC 2017 was the first tournament I played outside of the Netherlands. But before that, I got second place at the Dutch Open with Waylord, And even before that, I was like going through the cups and just playing the Wailord deck. I played Waylord also with a lot of different cards. I played it with like Ninja Boy, and it was like a whimsy card that put all the damage from one of your bench Pokemon on your opponent's Pokemon. I think there's going to be a single single strike Wobbuffet that has a similar attack, and I played that in Waylord DX and played Waylord DX for like a lot of different stuff and then I was having pretty good success. So what I did with Waylord, this was, this was after AC rotated. So before that happened Waylord was like a, a, a real rogue deck. But after AC rotate didn't seem like Waylord had much going for it but I was playing it with four rough seas and four float stones and you would rotate between your Waylords. And if, if your waylord takes a hit every turn and your seas gets insane value because you kind of heal like 120 damage. So you would rotate between your waylords and slowly chip away with uh, Shaman and with flagrant, PS Seeker, Max Potion, Puzzle of Time. And I was playing, uh, the I was playing, there was like no tool removal, but Garbodor was in the format. Uh, so I played Minchino that had like a tool removal attack and then I could remove a tool from a Garbodor and I played Hoot. It had the item lock attack. And I could trap a garbador after removing the floatstone. You could also stop VS seekers against like Vulcanian. And then they played Olympia, but you and Fisherman, but you could stop a VS seeker with the hoot hoot. And there was also a carbing that had also a sacred ability. And there was wobbuffet which obviously had ability lock ability. So there was like some toolbox and I had uh, Lugia's, Mincino's attacker. So I played it at Cubs. I was pretty successful at Cubs. And then I took it to the Open. and actually lost the finals against the uh, Robin Shields, even though it was a super favorable matchup and I completely threw game three. <laughs> <laughs> so that was kind of sad. <laughs> and then, yeah, yeah, so I guess for me that was, I guess, the first control deck, even though it never felt like, you know, it, it wasn't like a force in the meta because, wasn't like there was anyone besides me that was saying that I was it was also like kind of the first act that I because I like I said I played since uh, Diamond and Pearl mm. and I played all the so it used to be that the biggest European tournament was in the Netherlands, so I would just go there because it was close by and I would just play I would play Lux chomp and Gengar and meal prime toolbox decks and it was just kinda of play play the game more casual then I think. And I also uh, there was there were some periods where I like didn't play the game at all, and then with this Wailer deck, this was like the first you know real attempt from me to like actually put a lot of time in the game and try to figure out uh, a, a deck like this that could work. And obviously, I think Wailer did well with some one of the nationals in America. Seeing so, yeah. it that took that well, and there was also Sable Garb. Was like I a, a think. For me, there was, I think, an American player, Alex Co- Koch. Yo, yeah, Alex. I think, yeah, I th- uh, he did, like, an interview with Team Fish and Knuckles, and he had, like, a Sable Garb list, which was super decked out. He had, like, the Latios EX for, like, Trev Trevenant, and he had, like, he was playing, like, Triple Puzzle of Time, and he was like, yeah, this is the right way to play it, and he had, like, a lot of crazy deck cards, and when I saw the deck, I was like, this is really interesting, and I'd like to play this deck also in other card games actually want to give like a real shot at making this type of decks work and that was kind of like uh to me like an inspiration or at least like a sign that a deck like this could function in in the game and then i think the waiter deck was the was the first time that i you know i really sat down i was like i'm gonna try to make this work i like playing these decks there's so much you can do with it there's so much potential so yeah i guess the waiter deck never you know had any, you know, quote-unquote real results or anything like that. That was, like, the first control deck that I, you know, really put my heart and soul into, I guess.
0: So Alex just moved to Seattle, and I played a couple of his cubes. Every one of yeah. his cubes, from the beginner cube that's expanded up to the, like, hardcore, unlimited-format cube has Sableye in it. He loves Saberai so much. Azul, what was yeah, your first control deck you saw success with?
1: I don't even know. I think I, I, but I sometimes, like, It maybe wasn't even, like, I don't know, I can't even remember exactly. But I sometimes I play decks with the idea of I'm trying to control something. And I guess the biggest example of that would have been, like, the Madison list where I played Zoro Garb. Or not, not Zoro Pod. Not Zoro Pod. Galizopod Garbador <laughs> with Four Enhanced Hammer. Because I was like, I know everyone's just going to play Zorak decks, so I'm just going to play 4 hands Hammer. So that was, like, my idea behind that. It's obviously not a control deck, but, like, I played a lot of decks. Yeah, I played a lot of decks like that. Over the years, where it's, like... It's what I expected them to bring, so if I can just put these pieces together that just beat that then that's, that's what I want to play. So you have Garb for all the abilities, and then I was like, everyone, all the good players are going to play Zark. so if I just put four Enhanced Hammers in there, I can run them out of DCEs or make it very <laughs> awkward throughout the game between that and Garb, and then you just win games.
2: Yeah, I think, I think that's like an arc that people don't really talk about, like the mid-range, where you can kind of play both of the roles, depending on how the game progresses. And also, like, you can put pressure on, or you can shift into like, the role of like, the, attrition, the attrition game, where you run your opponent out of resources. And the fact yeah. that you also have the pressure makes your control element also kind of more pressing. Like, it's not like they can be, you know, too passive or otherwise you're going to just win with your bots and stuff like that. I feel like when Threshold was in the game, those kind of decks were like more mid-rangey, like can play it in different ways. Also with Espeon, I think, because it's not like a, more utility attacks.
1: Zoro Garb is like the definition of that kind of deck for sure, yeah. where you have so much range of huge hitting Trash avalanche, and then you have Zoroark, and then you have sometimes you played a Rangaro and you had the puzzles and the enhanced hammers and ability lock. Like it did it all.
2: Yeah, yeah, for sure. I feel like maybe uh, we don't really have it anymore, but I feel like some of the Draga builds, because Dragapult also like a low maintenance attacker, and then some people played with greens and heavy energy disruption, even like the Omastar. Because Dragapult is like such a, you know, you just, you only need the energies and it kind of does everything itself. So you can really play the disruption angle alongside it. Like Dragapult with like Power Plants and then Crobat instead of the them um, and Energy Disruption. It's not the same because you really play more into the, the pressure element of the deck than actual the, the resource grind. But the deck, I've always felt like Dragapult is also more of like a slightly more mid-rangey than just, you know, hit your opponents active for as much damage as possible. That's, uh, some decks or I guess Luke Metal maybe also plays that role. Role in the map, yeah. Like,
3: yeah
0: also yeah.
2: being able to play those pieces of style.
0: Luke Metal being able to 230 you, turn two, yeah. or <laughs> just sit there and not die ever is. It's probably within that. They're a different type of control, but same idea or stall. I guess.
2: Like, yeah, they have like control elements, and they if you play in a way that they can win through, through you know, getting rid of your resources, they can do that. They kind of have, like, this looming threat. If you uh, play too aggressive or or you are too wasteful, they can punish that. So they are kind of like, you know, they can kind of shift their, their game plan a little bit. It's, like, one of the strengths of those decks.
1: Yeah, and that's one of the, the strengths of, or one of the things you can abuse in any game with any deck ever is just simply... Uh, having an idea of what your opponent has or knowing exactly what they have with open deckles and then abusing the fact that they're out of switch or out of boss or any of that kind of stuff, which is like something that, once again, just a lot of players, like that's something players, like if you want to like take your game to the next level, check your opponent's discard pile. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. Be be uh, conscious about like how, how pain, like if they did then or research, how painful is it actually for them? Are yeah. they actually running out of energy switches and metal saucers? Like sometimes adp turn one like they get a, a really strong turn, what, turn one or turn and turn two but they spend so much that you know maybe in the end if you have placed a card like this at Sample or marnie you can actually turn it around if you are conscious about uh how much they actually spend to get to where they are yeah that's uh, in any deck it's relevant
0: that always feels so good as the peak rom player against adp Where they, like, they overextend and you're just like, that's three switch down. You just lose now. Yeah,
2: yeah. Pick on with hammers. And because they also have, like, it's kind of like how Espion used to be with, like, the confusion. Like, they also, they can also kind of text. They can, uh, like, kind of ask this question. Do you have switch cards? Like, Picom kind of plays that. I guess Picom also plays that role a bit. Especially with the Path to the Peak version. They also have a lot of different disrupts for uh, disrupt angles and they can be super aggressive and, par- and price racy as well so those decks are usually pretty good
0: gamer asks and again specifically for sander so azul on mod gamer <laughs> what's the I worst
2: they can they can ask Azul cool questions every day when he's doing so <laughs> yeah that's true yeah, i think that is the, that is like the the overlapping
0: well if they watch your twitch channel they can ask you questions too what's the that's worst? early though that is true (laughs) what's the worst case of abuse or unsportsman like behavior you've had to deal with at an event for playing control
2: so personally i feel like i think maybe it has to do because i'm so well known you know for playing control i feel like people are not i mean people i mean i'm also so in general i feel like in my personal experience i have not Run into a lot, many people are, you know, giving me, you know, trying to like cheat, like, like rule shark or like play. The, I mean, people play the timer in like legal ways. So that's mm-hmm. fine. I feel like it's not that bad. Also, I think it's, it it does have to do with like whenever you sit, whenever I play regional, I sit on the opposite side of somebody. They are already like, oh yeah, know where, <laughs> where this is going. This is going to be a long grindy. Stressful, weird game with with a lot of uh, every, every, every resource is going to matter. And uh, you you might not, or you might enjoy it depending on the opponent. So I feel like I, I run and in general, I, you know, I have a lot of, I enjoy the game a lot in general, so I feel like when you just enjoy playing and your opponent also enjoys playing, you don't actually run into many situations where you're getting like really salty, but I feel like. So I feel first I know other players maybe run into that maybe more than, than I do. I I don't run into. Google. I mean also in the at the end of the day, people are just even with a lot of money on the line, they are playing, you know, for the love of the game. So I mean, people will you know when when, when they are up one zero and they have just into like wish fail, just to buy time because that is complete that is legal and like I mean if people actually take too much time i i I just say like you have to make your move in like 20 seconds But i'm not gonna be a hard best you know i'm not super hard about it either so i feel like there are some you know there's some cases but in general it's not as bad as people make out i feel like if anything it's like at local at, at, at cups like like i said a lot of the cups i play but when I right before regional and I play like a newer player and he sometimes people are like oh this is not like what I was expecting when I signed up for this cup they like maybe don't they don't play long they are you know you get like this response of like oh a top Pokemon was all about you know att- attaching energies and why why aren't you doing that you know, I think at local level that but at this point I've I've been doing this so long I play I play a lot in local events so. You know, I, I I kind of understand, right? It's like if if that's not what you're expecting to play against, then it can be frustrating, or it can be weird, or it can feel like you that you you were just unprepared from the start, and you kind of lose just because you you weren't prepared or you didn't know what was coming, and that can be frustrating in its own right, in its own right. So I always take it like I take it as this. I feel like yeah. People, even before Pokemon, I've done a lot of competition also in sports and people can get emotional. People can get, you know, it's like part of the game, right? It Wouldn't be fun if people didn't have any passion towards winning. So if people are a bit frustrated or upset, or they things don't go their way and they kind of, you know, (laughs) let let you know that that they are not satisfied with how things are going. (laughs) As long as it's, it is like not, you know. As long as there's some form of sportsmanship, I think, I think think it's not a a big deal. Yeah, for me, again, I don't think that, I mean, at least I, as a control player, I've never felt, maybe, maybe that's because of my personality or maybe that's because, you know, people feel like it's like, no, there's no point in raging against me or trying to (laughs) make me not play control. There's, there's like no reason to, but I, I feel like I don't get, uh. I mean, people, people don't do this like control. I feel never feel personally, they take it all out on me. Quick
0: story off of that. So I played Sable Garb at Dallas. It was around like seven or eight, whatever. We're still in day two contention. And we're talking, talking to my opponent before the game starts. We don't know what we're playing. And he's telling me he hates control. He's upset that it exists. And I'm like, oh God, <laughs> this guy's going to be <laughs> a jerk <laughs> the whole time. And then
2: this people dude- dumb, I mean, you're not going to have a good time. <laughs> to be you, I guess. <laughs>
0: but then he flips over a seismitoad and i'm like i thought you hated control and he's like yeah but it's good (laughs) and then (laughs) it was (laughs) just a roller coaster of emotions from like oh this dude's gonna be a jerk the whole time to like oh bro i'm just gonna get quaking punched and lose the game (laughs) have you ever seen anything azul or is it just redeemed to Uh like a drive on twitter saying i hate control (laughs) I don't
1: think I've really ever. Yeah, I've seen it quite a bit. I've seen it quite a bit, you know. But yeah, yeah, I've never, I've never really ran into like a scenario that scenario myself. But yeah, <laughs> played so many tournaments, been around it so. But round Pokemon wants so watch. much. I've seen my fair share of salt.
2: Yeah. Also, the I didn't really follow the A drive thing. I just, you know, somebody sent it to me. <laughs> I don't know, but but I think that kind of response. I think that is exactly like. What I see at like the local events when newer players play the game, right? They're like, "Oh my God, what are you doing?" <laughs> just attack, just take the prizes. Like when when I saw that, it was like, "Oh, this is really normal." Like I've I've seen it like dozens of times. So uh, it's like a pretty, you know, I, I don't I don't see any any harm in people just uh, Venting. You know, playing playing the game they, they like, and then they they are also salty when they when something unexpected happens. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty normal.
0: So let's go ahead and call it there. Sander, where can the people find you? Social media, et cetera, et cetera. Sponsors, if you have any.
2: Yeah, I'm sponsored by Channel Fireball. Since I am on vacation, I don't have any uh, university anymore. I, I think I'm going to maybe write some more. So shout out to Channel Fireball. And uh, you can follow me on my Twitter, which is just Sander Wojcik with W-O-J. C Y K, that's my surname. And then I also stream on Twitch, not regularly, and I maybe need to put some more effort in my stream overlay and stuff like that, but I stream on Python, Python 8. It's my Twitch Twitch channel. And there's not really any tournaments I'm necessarily preparing for, so I am actually kind of looking for post a bit. So, And yeah, so that's where I can find Twitter, I guess. Thanks.
0: And the link to Sanders Twitter will be down below in the description on whatever podcast app or YouTube or it's in Twitch chat or wherever. It's linked to some however you're listening to this. Azul, (laughs) where can the people find you?
1: You can find me Azul GG on YouTube and Twitch, and Azul, unfortunately, underscore GG on the Twitter.
0: Yeah. Nice. And of course, myself, you can find me Twitch, Twitter, YouTube at mellow underscore magicarp. This has been another episode of the Lake of Rage podcast. We'll catch you all next week.